get it going. It's time to get up. Now Besser, this shot goes! Brock Besser posted in. These guys are here to break it all down. It was a hard-fought game. A couple players that we'd like to have back, but I do like how we pushed in the third, and uh, to get a point tonight was... It was good to get the late goal. It's Bird Tuesday with Todd Bertuzzi. Well, I got to see the face. You have a punch me face or you don't. This is the starting lineup. Here's James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is Tuesday, February 16th. This is the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. James Zabolski here. Perry Solkowski there. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass. Real simple to interact with us here at Sportsnet 650. Our Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business at 650-650. Find us on Twitter as well, at Sportsnet 650 as well. Multiple different ways to listen to us on the Sportsnet app. You can also listen to us on HD3 at 96.9. And right here on your AM dial on 650 that is Sportsnet 650 pair. Lots to get to over the next three hours and another setback for a Canucks team that has been playing better for the last four games. Unfortunately, they're just not getting the points. And last night, a costly one as they kept fumbling that little frozen biscuit on the ice last night. Two bonehead plays, um, to put it lightly, and there's your hockey game. Not good enough to overcome those. Uh, here, Travis Green, nice to get the point. It was most people watching, thrilled with Brock Besser's shot. Great, maybe you get a chance. Fact is, though, I mean, you dug such a hole for the first three weeks of this season that, you know, is it a, there, there's what, three columns, James? Wins, losses, overtime losses. There's no MWs for moral wins. And eventually, moral wins aren't going to do anything for you. They played harder than I thought they would. So that's good. Maybe they're over that hump as far as performance. But, man, those errors, egregious errors. First, Bo Horvat, maybe he thought Quinn Hughes was going to cut behind him, doesn't put anything on the pass. That's gone the other way. Does Demko make a save? He made big enough saves. Yeah, you needed him there, but not his fault. And then we still don't know what Nate Schmidt was thinking, where he's going with the puck. Last week, we played a clip from Nate Schmidt, going, I'll be honest, uh, in the last two games, I kicked the puck from my skate right to the guy's stick. I've never done that. I've never had a puck go off someone and then off me into the net. It's bad luck. And I'm sure he's never had a pass going a la Steve Smith up the middle and be in the back of his net. So I just don't think there's like they lost last night. It's great. The fight they showed in the third, but at the end of the day, you got one point. Calgary got that extra point. You can't be pleased with the result. Talk about the effort as we'll hear from Travis green, James, but you can't be pleased with that result because you need more. Well, our Twitter poll question this morning at Sportsnet 650, and you can also hit us up on the Dunbar Lumber text line. I'd uh, love to hear from you on this one. Point lost or a point gained? And from my standpoint, it certainly feels like a point lost, despite the fact that this team showed a little resilience in the dying seconds of the game to force overtime. The only person that was missing last night in a little deja vu from a 2004 Game 7 of the Stanley Cup playoffs against Calgary was Ed Jovanovski going absolutely sideways 
in the penalty box celebrating. That's the only thing you were missing <laughs> yeah. from from Quinn Hughes, right? Just looking for him yeah. going, ah, and then all of a sudden, oh, as soon as puck drops you're, in the OG. You're not getting that from Quinn Hughes. <laughs> no. yeah, you know, I don't know if we're ever getting that kind of emotion, Ed Jovanovsky emotion. If you could inject Quinn Hughes a little bit of that. But, hey, I thought Quinn Hughes was good with the puck as always. But, yeah, I, hey, they had the fight back. That's great. And I didn't think they even would in the third period. So if we go down to minutes played, that 60-minute game, I think the Canucks were the better team for probably – 42 of it but that's you know that doesn't do anything when you look at the standings you go oh it's gonna be a big mountain we've got to climb so you almost put yourself in you better win you better win in calgary tomorrow situation again here's what we got coming up over the next three hours uh it is bertuesday here on sportsnet 650 starting lineup uh todd bertuzzi joins us each and every tuesday and today is no different so he'll be uh, dropping by a little after seven o'clock this morning for his weekly conversation with us uh we'll also catch up with olympic gold medalist and uh one of the more dominant power forwards in the history of women's hockey carolyn Willette dropping by at 7 30 this morning and your canucks commute coming up at eight o'clock this morning dan murphy uh ringside reporter for Sportsnet on the tv side will join us and weigh in with his thoughts on what he's seeing in canucks land as well don't forget to get your submissions in for canucks in a song 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line we'll hit the music coming up what song best sums up the performance for the vancouver canucks last night as you uh, saw things kind of play out as they fall 4-3 in overtime. Get those submissions in. We'll hit the music in a few minutes. We'll share our suggestions and submissions coming up in just a few minutes as well. Brent Butt from Corner Gas fame, great comedian here in this country, and diehard Canucks fan. He also sent a submission in for Canucks in a song as well, Pear. So, uh, you know, Brent Butt also going through watching the agony that has been this painful Canucks season so far. He's got a submission that it will, uh, we'll share with you guys a little later this morning. Hey, he's a massive Canucks fan is involved in their sports celebrity festival every time. And, and like all of us, you sit, you watch, you wonder, um, you know, the narrative changes. It almost seems every 60 minutes. Here's this on me. And I'd love people's take. I, you know, when you look at points, it's one thing, but I, I'm watching last night. And again, man, like, how do you not love Niels Holglander and everything that he does? I mean, this uh, just scoots all over the place. And I'm looking, and so many times, and it happened again early in the game, JT Miller with the pass that is a giveaway that they're fortunate they scramble back. If I'm rating the top six forwards right now on consistency in play, like, honestly, I think JT Miller is at the bottom of the six. And that can't happen. Hey, his points on the power play, that's great. But JT Miller, to me, was the MVP, arguably not the unsung hero of the award he got. But uh, guys on the ice, other than Markstrom, it was JT Miller last year. And some of his decision-making, I'm just going, what, like, what's going on? You, you should not be, when I'm talking about our top six, the guy that hovers to me with, with Pearson in the 6-5 in the role. He's got to be more consistent. He was the guy who was leading the way. I don't know. Maybe I'm seeing it wrong, but the numbers don't lie and the eyes don't lie. JT Miller has struggled for the first month of this season to find something and making his decisions. I think you need more from him. No, I, I don't think there's anybody that would disagree with that for the most part. Now, is he the only one? I would no. say that has, has Elias Pettersson been the wonder kid this season for this team? Like how noticeable was PD last night outside of him catching a puck at the blue line and keeping it in on a power play at one point, um, you know, <laughs> Petey wasn't very noticeable last night. I mean, there's been a couple of flashes, but for a guy that everybody's talking about being the cornerstone of this franchise, has Petey won a game for this team yet this year? 
the only way I'll qualify that is when we talked about, I wonder what the mental strength will be with this young group and that being Hughes and, and Petey. So I will go, this is your number three for him. What you thought you had in JT Miller was a consistent pro who was going to bring it every night. Now, Corey Hirsch has told us along. Well, this first year, JT Miller walks in here going, all right, you should be one of our best forwards. Yeah, I, I think Petey's in that group, but expectation-wise, when you've got that rock-solid veteran who is supposed to be the leader, I just I think I expected more from J.P. Miller as far as a consistency basis is. And he's consistently been making some really crazy decisions with the puck. So I, that's why I'm, I'm more disappointed. And not that he's got off of the free ride. I know the boys were talking about yesterday. I just, I just expected more because the key to being a great pro is being consistent. We're seeing the inconsistency it's the from the young guys. It, it's the JT giveaways for Miller. Miller. Yeah, it's the giveaways for Miller that I would totally subscribe to. That that's been the problem. Like you know, Petey hasn't turned the puck over like Miller, and even at the beginning of the game, where it didn't it feel like for a few minutes, Canucks fans, did it not feel for a few minutes at the start of the game last night that maybe the hockey gods were finally starting to part those clouds and shine on the Canucks for a change? You look at how it started. You got JT Miller gives the puck away right in front of the net, and there's Johnny Hockey right at point blank range, and he fumbles the puck. You're like, oh, he caught a break there. And then the Canucks are flat on the power play, and literally as the penalty's expiring, shot from the point goes off. Tanner Pearson redirected in, and the Canucks get a goal on their first shot on goal. But. You get a turnover. You get a turnover. You get a turnover. Yeah. The hockey gods can be cruel at the same time. And, look, two things that stand out for me. Yes, the turnovers were absolutely terrible. Bo Horvat, come on, man. You got to be better than that as the captain of the team. Yes, I get he got a goal, but he also scored a goal in a five-on-three. But, Perry, late-period goals. End-of-period goals. And we've seen this Canucks team give up a few of those this year that are just like, come on. But Jake Vertanen. Too soft on the clearing attempt at the end of the first period. Give Milan Lucic a lot of credit here. Plays heavy for all the knocks against his game. Plays heavy. Lays out for Tannen, who hesitates just a moment too long with the puck to try to clear it out of the uh, out of the defensive zone. He gets rubbed out. Down goes Jake. Calgary's got the puck, and it's in the back of the net as Lucic goes to the front of the net, and boom, Calgary has life with 30 seconds to go. And you look at what the Ottawa Senators did last night as well in one of the most incredible come-from-behind victories in franchise history for the Senators. You know, you got arguably the worst team in the National Hockey League against one of the best, and they're down 5-1. And in the dying 30 seconds of that second period, what do they get? They get a lifeline. They get a goal at the end of that second period, and they come back on fire in that third period and win it 6-5 in overtime in a shocker last night. And there's Calgary down 2 nothing. How does that story play out last night if the Canucks take that 2 nothing lead into the intermission? Right? It's probably a different story. But Calgary gets that life late with that goal, crippling for this team. You know, the Canucks had so many powerful opportunities in the first period, and it's because they were moving their feet, right? You're right. The first couple of shifts, they make some mistakes. They get away from it. They get that late goal after the power play expires. And that final two minutes of the first period is for the first time you see Calgary inject a little bit of, of effort and a little bit of momentum, and you're thinking, just get out of it. You'll be okay. I agree. And they'll always say, Goals that'll kill you, right? End of the period, beginning of the period. It sets the tone for what's about to happen if you're heading into the dressing room or what's ahead for the next 18 minutes. Canucks getting two 
probably should have had three in that first period, but you just know Calgary's lingering along. That's why, and, and I don't want to be in most people going on to the text line and our Sportsnet 650 poll, they feel like it was a, a point loss, and it was. But I was almost surprised after 40 minutes. I felt, you know what, I just don't know if they have it in them anymore. Like, I don't know if there's that push. And I know we'll hear from Travis momentarily. You like your push in the third period. You were the better team. You're doing everything to score, and eventually you get that goal. And, yes, some people wondered. That was a shorthanded goal by Brock Besser, first of his career. Not killing too many penalties in his career, but, yeah, they were down a man. He got the shorthanded goal. That's how it'll go statistically. Uh, so take that. But you're right, James. You can't afford to give any team some momentum. I saw a stat that said there was a 99.9% chance when the Leafs were up like 5-1, they're winning that hockey game. What Ottawa did was amazing. Remember our friend Jim Houston on Saturday night said, you know, I think we'll see things tightening up a little bit in the North Division. Not on holiday Monday, Jim. Not on family day. Everybody was getting goals. But you can't make those glaring mistakes. They made two. Nate Schmitz, we won't see that again. But you got to be a really good hockey team to come back from those two mistakes. Canucks aren't a really good hockey team that could afford to make those two mistakes against their opposition. I mean, how how we just went 13 minutes in this show without getting to the Nate Schmidt turnover or and and goal in the back of the net is is crazy itself uh, how that happens. But just when you thought and all the the conversations over the last few days, you know, hey, Schmidt's starting to find his role. He's starting to find his groove. He's starting to get settled here as a Canuck, and boom, that happens last night. And oh, I'm mean, just an absolute backbreaker for this team and you know I'll say this about Thatcher Demko as well you know Thatcher Demko wasn't bad but I would also say that man there's a couple of times you want Thatcher Demko to make that save you know he came up with a big stop on the breakaway at one point but you know the Lucic goal right in front of the net uncontested um, you know didn't not that it was a bad goal but I didn't love it you know Jordy Ben uh, after the Horvat turnover you know, get to the middle, but, you know, you lean a clean lane. It's a clean shot. Demko, you, you know, in, in that moment from that distance, you kind of want your goalie to make a save there on that second Flames goal and the overtime goal. Look at the angle that Johnny Goudreau was on. Look at the angle he was on seconds into overtime. Almost at the side of the net. And he finds a way to get it in there from that angle. Like I said, you know, is De- Thatcher Demko the reason why they lost the game? No, but I wouldn't have any trouble going back to Braden Holtby on Wednesday night. Yeah, I, I think I don't know how long you want to have Holtby sit. Uh, I thought Demko was okay. Um, if Demko's great, they win the game. Um, I thought Jacob Markstrom was okay. I don't think he was fantastic. I didn't think they'd penetrate him for that that goal to tie it up, which they did. Uh, it's interesting. The text line keeps on coming. Edge in Port Moody makes a pretty good point. He goes, take away that Ottawa series. Vancouver's 4-10-1 and one, and Ottawa's 4-9-1. and one. Yeah. You know, are the Ottawa Senators and the Vancouver Canucks the same type of hockey team? I would say this, having watched Ottawa, although on the weekend, two weeks ago, they were better against Montreal, deserved a better fate. Um, you know, I, I think the Vancouver Canucks have played decent hockey in their last four games, right? Good enough to win, according to the head coach. Well, you're not winning. You only won once, and you, you picked up the, the loser point yesterday. I, I don't think the Senators and the Canucks are the same. There's more pure talent on this Vancouver team, but you just can't make big mistakes. The two massive mistakes that they made yesterday, you would think if, if Calgary doesn't win that game last night, everybody in Calgary, and you might have heard Rick Ball and Kelly Rudy on some of the postgame on Sportsnet, 
I mean, from their side, good on, good on the Flames, resilient, slow start, but able to fight through it in the final 40. If that doesn't help, and then they're questioning everything that's going on with the Flames. So uh, you you, you got to be better than, the, than they were. Simple as that. The Vancouver Canucks made two massive mistakes, and you're not good enough to overcome those kind of mistakes. And it's coming from veteran guys, and that's what, what worries you. This is the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Hope everybody had a great family day long weekend. Uh, we were back at it yesterday, but uh, for those of you that had the extra day, welcome back. We missed you, and thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Let's hear from some of the key individuals from last night's game. We'll start with Thatcher Demko and trying to rationalize or explain just what happened on that third Flames goal. You know the Nate Schmidt clunker. I was trying to make a quick breakout pass to him and uh, try to get back in the net. I'd, I haven't seen really what happened too much. Uh, I haven't looked at the video yet, but um, I think Schmidt was just trying to make a play and, um, you know, it just took a weird bounce or something. Um, unlucky goal. The old Steve Smith, as I suggested last night, as others point out, the old damn Ham Hughes and Roberto Luongo moment from mm-hmm. a few years ago, Pear. Yeah, and it's just, you know, you don't laugh at that. You shake your head and go, what else is left to happen to this team? Almost what else is left to happen for Nate Schmidt, who in the last couple of weeks, you're kind of thinking, all right, we will give him that first month off to figure out new systems, understand how they break out and, you know, pinching at the right time, having some opportunities. All right, there you go. That's, that's what we anticipated. Yet again, you know, it's not like Nate Schmidt's bio was great in his own end. He's going to be fantastic with decision-making. You know, he's a little bit of a riverboat gambler. And, man, has he been pulling up some really bad cards. Feel bad for him, but those mistakes were costly. And and there goes your point yesterday. Uh, Not exactly a banner night on the uh, man advantage for the Vancouver Canucks. There were opportunities there and opportunities blown in the eyes of head coach Travis Green. Well, there's been games where I've said that I think they've been good and they just haven't scored. I, I didn't think they were they were very good tonight. I just didn't think they were sharp. Their passing wasn't sharp. They're on the outside. Um, give the other team credit, too. When you get in, in mini-series like this, teams do make adjustments as the series goes on, and their penalty killers did a, did a good job tonight. But I thought our power play could have been better tonight. Uh, yeah, and it, and it and it could have been it could have been better. Here's here's one thing, you know, Travis didn't love his top line, um, didn't love that top PP unit. I still think that Brock Besser's out of position. Like, why is Brock with 11 goals on the season, Perry? And and there's been a few goals that he has scored this year, going to the net, uh, being a little harder to play against in front. But that shot looks like it's back. 11 grapes on the season. Why not switch Miller and Besser in that spot? You know, with Brock shot and that release seemingly back from a couple of years ago, put Bo- put Besser more in a shooting role right now. Let JT go to the front of the net. Let him go and try to create havoc in that sort of bumper role. Let Besser get back into more of a shooting role on that man advantage. It's, it seems too simple. I don't know what they were thinking in the first period. Is you know, They go two for six in the power play, but... There's one power play that their their entry into the zone was simply, you know, I'll take the puck and see if I can go at these three guys and see if we can gain the line. Like there's, you know, I, I think that's exactly what Travis Green was talking about. I mean, they didn't set up that much. And James, to your point, if we took any fan, any kid who's watching this game said, hey, get five of your buddies and set up the power play for the Canucks. Okay, 
I'm going to just go on the on the right side here. I'll be Petey. Okay, you be Quinn Hughes at the top, and then you're JT Miller, and, and you're right. I'll be Brock Besser behind the net, and I'll slide up, and okay, you're Bo Horvat sliding up and down the middle. That's the look. Right? I, I completely agree with you. Let's let's flip it up a little bit. Put JT Miller there. When they had pulled the goalie and they had a uh, a penalty was coming, delayed penalty, and they moved the puck around so well, um, six on five. But there was no one. It was all on the outside. There was no one going all step in front of the net and just create some havoc. That's something that JT Miller can do. I think that's something that they've got away from. And what do you do when you fix power plays? Go, okay, let's make it a little more simple. Someone's going to stand in front of the goalie and see if we can do it. I know Besser comes around the corner looking for the loose pucks, but give me a couple of different looks. And Petey, I don't know if he fired one from that wing yesterday during the power play or not. Waste one out of goalie's head, do something with it, but fire it. They missed the net a lot yesterday. But power play in a game like that in that first period with that many opportunities, that's where you got to try and put a team away, and they haven't been good enough. Want to hit some music? Want to play a little yeah, bit let's of do the it. song? Yeah, it was a tough one again last night. Which way were you going to go? You, you, it was like writing for the a newspaper old school. Hang on here. I got to clear the got to clear the headline. I could have a different finish here. Tough to come up with the Canucks in a song. Okay, so here's where I'm going for this one. And again, get those submissions in now. For those of you just finding us for the first time here at Sportsnet 650, we play Canucks in a song every morning after a Canucks game. And, you know, music is so subjective, right? How does it play out on the ice, and how does that translate in your mind and how things kind of get going? we got a bunch already suddenly pouring in, but for me, I look at all the turnovers last night. I look at, you know, comparatively to a point gained or a point lost. I think it was a point lost for the Canucks. Too many turnovers. I'm going to one that hits home and probably drives a lot of parents nuts this morning. It's the theme song from the original Frozen. It's Let It Go. I mean, you don't care what they're going to say. They just turn the puck over and let that game go to the Calgary Flames. Sure, they picked up three out of four in the last two games, but you know what? The Flames just rolled in here after three games and were the subpar team, I would say, in the overall body of work, and yet they come away with four out of six points, Pair. They let it go. Frozen. Yeah. That's right. And as you keep on saying that, essentially this team is going to have to go on a clip where they win two of three games. You want to break everything down to three game series. They're going to have, for the most part, win two of three. There's a challenge, a hill to climb for them. But yeah, let it go. They let the team go. Um, you know, they, they didn't let the shots go enough. They'll have it. Uh, for my Canucks in a song, it was difficult. And, and at the end of the day, it's it's a play on words, but it's the fact that's very simple. And it's true with most teams in the NHL. You need your best line to be your best line. And when you look at five on five and what the, the lotto line has done, it's been disappointing. Someone just texting in, when are we starting the JT Miller turnover drinking game? Yeah, he'd be drinking early. Lotto line needs to be better. I took a play on words with an old school song. Going to take a lot of. Love. Gonna take a lot of love. Change the way things are. Gonna take a lot of love. We won't get too far. You're not getting too far without the lotto. 
And it's going to take a lot of love from the lotto to get it done. It's on the big guns to take this team and not on a power play on five on five situations. It's time for those guys to light it up if this team's going to find the light. JT Miller turnovers drinking game. That could be fun. Fair. Who? I'll tell you what. And and look, I love the way that Niels Hoaglander shows up to compete, but who is the more uh, intoxicated individual at the end of a game? Taking a shot for every JT Miller miss or, or turnover or every Niels Hoaglander missing of the net on a shot? I'm telling you, top six forwards, JT Miller's number six on my ranking right now on this team. And that's bad news. And I watch, and at some point, we will have, and it may be at the end of this year, but you're not telling me if Niels Hoaglander plays with that kind of confidence five weeks into his NHL season, his career, what's he going to be like in five months? What's he going to be like in, in two or three years? You're going to be looking, oh, Tyler Toffoli, hang on. If Hoaglander finds a scoring touch, and check out Swedish league hockey to find out the scoring touch that this kid has. When he figures it out and can bury it, because I don't think he's going to be, and no disrespect to our friend Yannick Hansen, I don't think he's going to have Yannick Hansen hands. He'll eventually start scoring. Man, I, I again, most exciting player on the ice for me every time I watch this team play. How about this submission? Uh, Brent Butt, uh, comedian extraordinaire and diehard Canucks fan, had this submission for our Canucks in a song here this morning. He's going a little Red Hot Chili Peppers. He nailed this one. It's Give It Away. Man, they gave it away. The Bo Horvat turnover, the Vertanen turnover, the Nate Schmidt WTF moment for the third Flames goal. Yeah, they gave it away in a big way. A lot of submissions coming in here on the Dunbar Lumber text line here at 650-650. We'll continue to hit the music in just a few minutes. And coming up in a moment, it may not have been the answer or the clarity you wanted, but I'll tell you in a moment on Seaball Says why Francesco Aquilini's vote of confidence couldn't have come at a better time it's 25 after six on this tuesday morning james sabalski perry solkowski don't forget todd bertuzzi at seven o'clock right here on your home of the canucks sportsnet 650 you know i was like to take this opportunity to talk about myself seaball says on sportsnet 650 631 on this tuesday morning james sabalski perry solkowski you're gonna get a chance of a little uh chance of showers maybe this morning and then a mix of sun and cloud later on today and a high of plus four it was the collection of tweets heard across canucks twitterverse over the holiday weekend with francesco aquilini or dare i say frank the tank based on kevin bx's explanation but the canucks owner echoed his support for jim benning and travis green now based on the overwhelming support for the thank you jim movement wink wink and nudge nudge people are certainly mixed about the aquilini message but the timing couldn't be better according to the former canucks blue liner who shared that thought yesterday morning right here on sportsnet 650 it's awkward right when you don't know day-to-day coming to the rank like what's what's tomorrow going to look like is our gm going to get fired is our coach going to be here it's it, it just it messes with the chemistry of the team. Uh, so it's good to know, like, kind of where everybody stands. Like if, you know, if they were on the hot seat and he said, oh, yeah, listen, we, we're going to see what our options are right now, like, that would be fine. It's just nice to have 
some sort of clarity as a player. 100% flux sucks. Hockey players, like so many of us, are creatures of habit. People like to know where they stand. Check that. Many need to know. Wondering where you stand is just the worst. Have you ever asked a boss or a manager where you stand on something and you get the old, I'll think about it. Such a terrible feeling. How many times that happened to you as a kid? You ask a parent, same thing, I'll think about it. With the amount of speculation that has surrounded the club since way back on January 23rd when they were spanked by the Habs again here at Rogers Arena, people have been wondering if the guillotine would be used on Benning or Travis Green or even both. This message from Aquilini at least settles that conversation down and gives some clarity for not only the fan base, but the players. When he goes to uh, Twitter and, and supports his coaching staff and his, his GM, you know, that, that's being a great, great leader right there, right? Because a lot of times if that can fester when you have a, a coach whose job is on the hot seat and you have a GM whose job's on the hot seat and the players are kind of thinking, like everyone's just sitting around waiting for something to happen, like a change. But to get that vote of confidence and say, this is our group moving forward, we're going to stick with it, stick with the process, that's huge. It's not the answer many were looking for, but it was the right time to finally speak up on Frank the Tank's part. Now, whether this vote of confidence turns into something similar to Michael Corleone's kiss of death to his brother, his brother Fredo back in Godfather 2... I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. Now, that remains to be seen. But the social media pat on the back should at least buy Frank's beleaguered sergeant some time, at least for a few games anyway, and like it or not, the timing couldn't be better. And that's this morning's Seaball Says. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. He did what he could on Saturday. The team performed well on Saturday. They showed up in the work boots again, along with the broadcast crew, as you saw, Cheech and Murph and, and, and Shorty. But... Now they leave, James, if they return and they haven't won in Calgary or Winnipeg or Edmonton. You know, it bought them some time, but what is that time? Is it a sundial or is it a Swiss clock and it's ticking down to the hundredths of a second? I like the move, but at the end, if Aquilini may have to do it again if this team goes, you know, one on four on a road trip, he may have to go, hey, we're not changing. And I don't think he will. I think what he was trying to get across is don't think anything's happening in the next little bit. In fact, don't think anything's happening this year, but we've talked about all along. I think the GM job is based on your position when the season is over, even though it's been different. If this team's not a playoff team, I think they make some moves and give someone else the helm and go, you've got some money to spend and you got a good foundation to build with. Here's your chance. And Jim Benning, the only way he was going to survive year number eight was to be a playoff team and make a run. That's just the expectations that come after you find a playoff situation like you did in the summertime. That's that's it. Now, this narrative may change, Pear, if, if, like you mentioned, like if the Canucks lose six straight again here in a real relatively short period, then, yes, it, it's hard not to think that all bets are off. And, and how many times have we seen in the past that whether a general manager giving the vote of confidence to a coach and two days later, you know, a guy gets fired, right? I remember Brian Burke trying to give that vote of confidence to, 
it was Ron Wilson. And said, no, I'm not touching Ron Wilson back when they, you know, Brian Burke was running the Leafs. I'm not touching. I'm not touching. You know, he's fine. He's fine. The team lost, what, 11 to 12 games. It was, you know, finally it was like, okay, enough. I got to do something, right? At, at some point your hand gets forced here, but I don't think there's an exit strategy just yet in place for Jim Benning, and I don't think there's one in place for Travis Green just yet. You know, a few people texting in on the Dunbar Lumber text line here at 650-650 always welcome the discussion, always welcome the debate, and always yeah, mostly appreciate the kick in the rear end every once in a while. But, you know, a point taken here. If Francesco believes in green, why hasn't the extension gotten done? Actions speak louder than tweets. Get your coach signed if you have faith in him. I think that's valid. Now, there's seven coaches right now in the National Hockey League that are in the final year of their deals right now, Pear. So Travis Green isn't the only guy who's in that sort of a, a term that we used to always call lame duck, right? Lame duck. Oh, you don't hear that anymore in, in, in sports. And I think just because of the business element that has changed here now, and especially in a pandemic where do you want to ink somebody when you've got so much flux around your business right now? At this point, could you see come October 1 or October 5th, let's say opening night for next season, do you think there'll be a whole bunch of fans in the stands here for the Vancouver Canucks in a 2021-2022 season? I'm not sure if everybody will be back to normalcy just yet by late fall, right? There's still going to be a business impact on this league next year in the way of this COVID world. Well, yeah, if you're projecting revenues for, you know, 2021-22, they are not numbers that you would have looked at three years ago. I think that's a great point. And please sign your text when you join the conversation on the starting lineup. In most situations, oh, what can I do as an owner? Well, you know, really, uh, I can call a press conference or, hey, I'll just go to social media and let everybody know I believe. Well, it, there is actually a situation that Aquilini can. And I do understand that if you believe in Travis Green, then here it is. You sign an extension and, and you know, put that extension, that contract together like you would a player and go, Travis, it's going to be for three years. It'll be a you know, we'll see more money in the back end of it. Because of the economic reality we are in here, it's going to be a while before we're playing in front of fans. There is an option to do that. So I am leery, but we have had this conversation before. As long as Travis Green doesn't have a ticket, at some point, and there's been a couple of great suggestions about Travis Green and Canucks in a song that we'll get to, at some point, do you not think Travis Green looks around at possibly other options? When you prorate this year as far as how much time has gone to last year, at this time last year, six NHL coaches had been fired. Like, I mean, they were moving out last year in a hurry. People making some changes going, we've got to fix this now. We haven't seen any, and I don't know if we will see any this year because of the situation. And I completely understand it if teams just hang on and say, you know what, we will fix this in the offseason because this year is just too tough to judge what kind of a hockey team we had considering what the players were put through and everyone was put through. But... Yeah, you can step up and go, Travis is our guy, but it takes two to negotiate a contract. Travis may see something else and wonder if there might be greener pastures on the other side somewhere if you don't get a deal done. What do you say we get a couple more of these submissions in? Uh, but, man, our, the Sportsnet 650 Dunbar Lumber text line inbox is absolutely jammed. Uh, how about a few more of these Canucks in the Song submissions? Uh, Jay and Lady Smith, how about this one? Oh, it's an Elvis classic. I thought about this one, too, last night, Jay. It's so close, yet so far. And here am I, so close, yet so far from paradise. Man, absolutely nailed it, right? You're up to nothing. 
you blow it and let the Flames skate off with the 4-3 victory, even though you pick up the loser point. Hey, look, that's their first loser point they picked up in 19 games this season, Pear. They could have used a few more of those along the way to help pad the stats, but, I mean, it's, it's a point in one respect, but it's a point lost when you figure you're trying to catch the Calgary Flames right now. You're trying to take care of business, and you let the Flames back into it like they did last night. I don't know. Well, we saw last night no lead is safe with that 5-1 lead that Toronto had, but I, I never got the feeling at 2-0 that the Canucks were free and clear. Um, and they've been better defensively, especially in this series, but you just felt like they need something else. Unfortunately, uh, that fragility that I think has, has been around this team that, that was removed on Saturday night with that great performance and that will from Tyler Myers to get that goal, that swagger that hopefully they had coming to the rink yesterday. Uh, and they played within the first 20 minutes with all the power play opportunities they had. It just, you know, it, it seemed to go away from them. And now I don't know as they jump on this plane, what kind of hockey team we see on Wednesday. They're close, but that's not going to get it done. And all you have to do is look at the standings and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Close is, is just having you removed from the playoff picture sooner than anyone might have imagined. 19 games into the season. And uh, how about this submission here from Mike? Um, a little Paul Simon classic, Slip Sliding Away. Slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. I hated that turnover from Bo Horvat entering the offensive zone. I mean, just too many, too many of these plays made entering, trying to gain the zone. You got to be harder on the puck. You can't just throw that soft serve ice cream pass over that Anderson read it perfectly, takes off, they transition the other way, and just like that, it's in the back of the net pair. Why did it seem when Calgary had the opportunity their scorers were going to bury it? Right? And that's and I don't think Thatcher Demko was at fault. He made some big saves on a breakaway at good times, but it just seems like right now when there's a decent look for the Canucks, you know, more often than not, they're missing the net or they weren't beating Marky, right? They're, they weren't getting it done where it seemed like, oh, man, don't give them that opportunity. They're putting it away. Yeah, you can't you can't make the mistake that Bull Horvat did at the blue line. He took a little bit of ownership of a post game, and we can't even – Nate Schmitz was such an abysmal, like, what was that? You, you can't even break it down because it wasn't a hockey play. That'll kill you, and it did. Uh, sports tweeter going with a police classic, the king of pain. We got Todd Bertuzzi coming up just after 7 o'clock. What's coming up next, my friend? No BS, just PS. I like Paul Maurice. He loves his job, but honestly, would he and would the NHLers do it in these circumstances if it lasts forever? He went on a rant. We'll have it for you on the Western home of the Vancouver Canucks. You got it on Sportsnet 650. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter, sort of. We call BS. You want answers. I want the truth. It's not BS, just PS with Perry Solkowski. So many things going on in the world of sports. We uh, find you something in the form of BS, or is it PS? Paul Maurice, um, before the Jets-Oilers game yesterday, had a long press conference. Boy, he, he likes to talk, and... 
want to play you a clip that he had. He made it very clear prior to this, so I keep it in context, how fortunate he feels as a head coach, as a player, that the NHL is playing. But he wanted to make one thing abundantly clear. It's not nearly as much fun. It's not nearly as exciting. It is kind of like if you, if you if there were never any fans in the building, I'm not sure how excited you would be to do this job. James, I think we forget um, how tough it might be that these guys are professionals. Part of them that makes them so good is how they handle the emotions. He went on and said, you know, sometimes it's just like a practice feel out there. And I think it's taken some use to some of these teams to realize that when you're down, you have no energy or nothing to pull off, not for the guys on your bench. It's been hard. Well, I think it, if you wanted to relate it from working from home, right? For yeah. There's some people that just simply can dive in and work great, and there are some people that just treat it like autopilot. And I'm sure there's a mental approach for, hey, look, players are human, man. They're just like you and I. But I think that there's a mental approach that some guys feed off energy. I'm sure there's some players that thrive that not have to worry about dealing with the mental aspect of fans chirping them. You know, I think that's a, that's a real element of it as well. But there are some sports that have absolutely died or, or events that have died without fans. Um, you know, I feel like the UFC has actually been all right. I think it's added a more intimacy. Um, the NFL, I think, has always been more of a made-for-TV event, so I think it's still okay for the most part. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't. I, I mean, fans make a difference, man. They make a huge difference. I mean, like any time I watch Monday Night Raw, pair, it's like, oh, my God, I never thought it would have such an impact on wrestling, but, man, does it ever. Well, and, and you know, people who are, are listening to us and watch the games on television, there's not that much of a difference. You see the odd shot and you go oh yeah there's the tarps i mean we have been to the arena it is so different when you're inside the arena uh yeah it, it is a challenge that they're trying to overcome and that's just the world they're in right now hey p.s man this guy is short of not doing so many things that are so incredible in his entire career short with four seconds thanks shoots Uh, here's something Jordan is doing again. He did it a couple of years ago when he gave to his North Carolina community in the tune of $7 million. But Jordan announced yesterday a $10 million donation. It's the biggest he has ever made. He is setting up two medical clinics in underserved communities in North Carolina, close to his hometown. You know what? Jordan is a business, makes a lot of money, but give him a pat on the back when he deserves it, making another donation to set up more health care for underserviced areas in his hometown. Didn't MJ also donate $100 million uh, to help improve, um, you know, basically to improve social or to improve social justice? Uh, he announced that last year. It was about $10 million a year over 10 years. But, you know, look, I, I know people want to point and kick him in the ass for, for the way, uh, you know, the Charlotte Hornets have kind of operated since he's been the owner. But, man, like, MJ's giving back, too. And he's made a lot of money, and he's finally starting to give back. P.S., we saw what the owner did with social media on Saturday night. How about what North Carolina, Jordan's basketball school, did? They went to Twitter yesterday morning and simply said, In my mind, I'm gone, Carolina. Yeah, anybody want to come to Carolina? They went to Twitter and said, we're looking for a game. Like, as simple as that, we're looking for a home game this week, February 16th, 17th, or 18th. 
please contact if interested. Now, they had over 500 people responding. Some schools, some just guys. There were pictures of the guys from growing up, Adam Sandler and his street ball team. But eventually they got a game Northeastern. But, yeah, they, they couldn't find a game. Let's go to social media, see what school wants to come here. And they found an opponent. Crazy. <laughs> Do they have to go through COVID protocol testing? Probably not no, in America, right? Listen, we have BX on every Monday. He's in a different part of America all the time. It doesn't matter down there. <laughs> and finally, P.S. Daytona 500. We didn't talk about it on the weekend because, sorry, man, we don't talk a whole lot of NASCAR, but I love this. How about Ross Chase? And during the rain delay, this is what he does. Yeah, we're racing, and whenever it stops raining, I race a McDonald's car. Huh? I race in the McDonald's car. For real? Yeah, number 42. So Ross races in the McDonald's car. The rain was coming down. He looked at his crew and said, how long is this going? They go, man, we are going to be watching for a while. We're not going to get back to racing for a couple hours. He jumped in his own personal car, drove to McDonald's, ordered a whole bunch of food for the crew, and came back. Not bad. He races for McDonald's. When they did finally race, Ross finished seventh. Like it. That's looking after your crew. That's not BS. That's PS. You know, I'm lucky enough to get the white spot hospitality card that I've always been very thankful about having for the last couple of years. Man, it makes a difference when you've got a household of six. But does he get like does he get like a free McDonald's card? When you're driving the McDonald's car, that feels like you'd probably get free Mickey D's, wouldn't you? You, you know what? And we'll bring it back to Michael Jordan. I believe when Jordan did the Want to Be Like Mike commercials and all the McDonald's commercials, one of the things he said, I've won a lot, but the fact that I can go to McDonald's with that free eat whatever you want card might be one of the greatest gifts I've given. So I would say, yeah, I would think so. Why not? It sounds like so little, but man, 15% off at White Spot is like magic every time I get that bill when you've got six mouths that are gorging down on food. All right, five minutes to seven o'clock. Todd Bertuzzi, it's Bertuzzi, everybody, and Big Bert joins us next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Now Besser, this shot goes! guys are here to break it all down. It was a hard-fought game. A couple players that we'd like to have back, but I do like how we pushed in the third, and uh, to get a point tonight was was good to get the late goal. It's Bird Tuesday with Todd Bertuzzi. Well, I gotta see the face. You have a punch-me face or you don't. This is the starting lineup. Here's James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. Two minutes after 7 o'clock here on this uh, Tuesday morning. It is February the 16th. I hope everybody had a great family day long weekend. Awesome with all the snow. If you didn't have to go anywhere, awesome to just be hunkered down and enjoy it. It's too bad it just wasn't about a degree or two colder yesterday, Pear, because we would have had just a ton more snow, but instead... I'd say about a, I'd say uh, more than half of it's pretty much been washed away here in this neck of the woods already. Well, listen, you got your ultimate weekend of sledding in with everyone. You want cold. Uh, you know, BX is stuck in Dallas. I saw some tweets from some NHLers in Dallas going, they can't believe how terrible it is. I think Bert's going to be in a snowstorm. So we've had, listen, we had a 48-hour winter. I am all for that. If you move to the West Coast or you're from here, you don't understand winter, but that's fine. This is when the odd time you look, you call your relatives, 
and you just check in on other parts of Canada. I'll give credit to my mom who's 90. I called her this week, said, hey, you in a little bit of a deep freeze there? She goes, no, it's 33. And I said, it's minus 33. She goes, I've decided I've lived here long enough. I don't deal with negatives. So there's there's the positive attitude I want. It's cold everywhere, but uh, it was nice this weekend to get your sledding on. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. It's amazing. It's always a reminder, and we touched on this yesterday, but it is a reminder that there are a lot of idiots out there, and I'm talking about parents, not kids. Kids learn about traffic on on, on toboggan hill, on sledding hills, but man, parents that decide to, I'm just going to socialize and have a conversation right in the line of fire at the bottom of the hill, right? Or I'm going to stand there and take pictures of my kid in a sled because this is the perfect spot to take pictures at the bottom of the hill. Do it at the top. The funny thing is, and it's not like anyone's walking into an office today in this world we live in, but if you were on some kind of a Zoom call with one of your uh, colleagues and they show up in a sling or something, oh, my goodness, what happened? Oh, we were tobogganing. Like, I don't have any sympathy for that. I would just chuckle. Go, oh, seriously? Too bad. Oh, it's tobogganing, eh? Yeah, no, I got chop-blocked by a little kid in a sled. Oh, that's too bad, you dummy. I hear you. Yeah. No, 100%. It was, I mean, like, people almost as dumb as some of those turnovers that the Canucks made last night as that was really the difference in the game. Puck management. And unfortunately, it reared their ugly heads again. Like, the margin for error for this Vancouver Canucks team is so minute, Pear. It is so small because you can dictate play for the most part. And last night, I think it was a little more even compared to what we saw on Saturday or even on Thursday or even last Monday against the Leafs where the Canucks were the better team for the most part. But those little mistakes, man, they absolutely burn this team. And it just speaks to the fragility of this team where, you know, one little mistake, it's in the back of the net. Horvat turns it over at the offensive line, trying to gain the zone. Boom, back in the net within a couple of seconds. Nate Schmidt, I mean, what are you thinking coming out from behind the net, right? Like, where are you going? What are you doing? And even Jake Vertanen just hesitating a little too long when he gets the puck on his stick late in the first period. And those late period goals, ask what it does for the Ottawa Senators. Ask what it did for the Toronto Maple Leafs last night, a late period goal in the second for Ottawa and Toronto. Same thing last night for the Canucks. Up 2 nothing at the end of the first period, and you give up that goal, and you throw a freaking lifeline to the Calgary Flames in that position. Terrible. Yeah, you can't overcome that. Uh, And I'm almost surprised, and we'll get to Big Bert in a second. Our poll question is, are you grateful they picked up a point? Are you bitter that they lost two? And James, I'm surprised. 41% are are grateful. I thought there would be a better feel for going, listen, you need two points in a game like that, and you couldn't get it done. Hey, maybe we're being harder than the fans are on this team. Going, well, they they are what they are, um, you know, and they fought back and take that. But two massive mistakes. You're not good enough to overcome that when the hockey's as tight as it is. Uh, Todd Bertuzzi joins us. Says uh, on Mondays it's the the Michigan Mafia. I think that plays uh, the outdoor pond hockey game for Bert, and uh, here he is to uh, share the post game detail. Did you guys play again last night? No, we uh, there was. Uh... A uh, handful of injuries, so we had to uh, take this week off. And uh, pickleball injuries? I, no, I know that Kessler had to go to uh, um, our chiropractor friend to go get a little bit of work done. So we have too many guys out. So we took another week off, rest up, and we're going to start back up on uh, Monday. But I'm involved with a humongous fight right now with the city 
and the snow plowing on my street, they think that it's kind of funny in order to leave all the snow from the street because I have the bigger driveway and it's on a, it's on a turn on the cul-de-sac to leave all the snow at the end of my driveway. Oh, I remember those days as a kid. Oh. The plow comes by and and just buries oh, that I, wall and of I just, snow. And I just bought it, and I was doing it by shovel, and I said, screw this, I'm going to go get a snowblower. So I went and got the biggest snowblower I can. So me and him are just going back and forth right now. He puts it there, I put it back in the street. He comes every <laughs> two hours because we're getting hit with a snowstorm like you couldn't believe. So after this show, I'm going to buckle back up, put my chin strap on, get back out there and go to work. Well, can't you throw it on the side? Like, is there not a side of like on the grass or something that you got to throw right no, back on the street? No, where, no, where I live, we're almost like on an island on, on the lake. We're at the end, uh, so there's not many out places to put the snow, but there's more places you can put it other than in my driveway. So, uh, hey, I'm prepared. I'm ready for this. This is what I live for. Push it into the lake. <laughs> no, it's too steep. Too steep. <laughs> okay. That's okay well, Hey, can you remember the the uh, the biggest mistake as a puck giveaway you you came up with on the ice? Yeah, I actually, you know what? I actually really, really do, and I still think to this day it was costly that we had a chance. It was uh, we were playing Anaheim when I was with Detroit. Uh, the puck came up the boards. Um, and this was my first stint with them. So I've only played, I think, maybe six regular season games. And then we're game, uh, I think it was 15 uh, in Anaheim. And I had the puck come up. We're losing three to two to one, maybe three to one. And I threw a, a blind no looker right up the middle, thinking that uh, uh, Zetterberg was there. And it was just a bad attempt on my part. Corey Perry picked it off, went in and scored. And then uh, we ended up uh, coming back late in the game, make it 3-2. We hit a post uh, in order to bring it to overtime. But if it wasn't that costly of a mistake that late in the game, it would have been a tie game. We would have been into overtime and playing. Instead, we had to come back to play game seven. and lost in game seven with a, with another uh, uh, mistake by our team in order to uh, to lose to go to the finals. Was that in oh. slow motion uh, to watch Perry? Yeah, it's, it's still in slow motion. <laughs> I, I remember I'm, I'm, I'm playing on the right side, and I pick it up on my forehand with my back to the play, which I generally never do. But in that series, they had some big boys like Pronger, O'Donnell, uh, and a handful of others. So I was making sure I was going to try to reverse hit if they were going to pinch in. And uh, whoever was on the left side over there faked the pinch and didn't backed off, which uh, which I thought uh, Zetterberg was going to be able to come through the middle. And I just threw a no-look pass. He actually went straight up the boards behind the defenseman, which would have been just an easy chip off the boards, and Z would have picked it up and gone in and all that. And I remember to this day leaving my stick, and as it's leaving my stick, I'm saying, oh, my God, what did I just do? Boom, in your net. So kind of like what's I get... going on right now. With kind of like what's going on right now, we're like it, it seems every magnified turnover is ending up in the net, and that's that's frustrating and and hard to see. And but but Demko played so well, like he really did. Calgary had top top grade A meet chances offensively, and he stood his ground. He was very athletic, uh, post to post. And they had some dangerous, dangerous looks, and they played well. But uh, the three mistakes that 
Yeah, and you know me, I don't throw anyone under the bus. I'm never going to do it. You guys already know the three mistakes that happened first period, and then uh, later on in uh, in the game, the, the last two uh, uh, were were difficult to watch. But uh, I still loved Vancouver's resilience coming back with what is it, 26 seconds left. Uh, JT Miller, great job on the faceoff, getting it back, and obviously uh, Brock with that laser. But then Miller also. Oh, getting puck retrieval, getting it back, and then also going to the net for the screen. So I thought it was very competitive. Then it gets to overtime. Whenever it's 4-3 and three in overtime, uh, with that many weapons, uh, you can count on uh, the game being over. But, Bert, are those types of mistakes, I mean, just I don't know if Nate Schmidt will ever make a play like that again. And Bo Horvat with, with the soft pass going the other way, I mean, he owned mm-hmm. it too. Are those mistakes on the bench tougher to – regroup from and rally from rather than, Hey, you know what? That was a nice play. They deserve the goal. I mean, it's gotta be tough mentally on the guys to see really two great mistakes. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's, it's the consistency of, of the grade a mistakes that are happening that are, that are causing these opportunity and goals. And um, I think you can kind of sprinkle it on everyone. It's just not one individual. Uh, it's happening at, uh, their blue line, and it's happening uh, in our own zone, not getting the or Vancouver's own zone, not getting the puck out, or or just uh, a miscue behind the net and all that. But it just seems that the, the the magnified mistakes are the ones that are ending up in the net. You can make mistakes. The hockey is is a game of mistakes. You make them all the time. It happens all the time. It's just those really bright, magnifying ones, like the one I just spoke about that I caused in that uh, playoff series, uh, those ones are just, they always end up in the net. Uh, but you can't, like like I said, Demko played, played solid. He gave him the chance to win. Tom Bertuzzi with us here on Sportsnet 650. The other one to me, I mean, beyond the turnovers, it's giving a team life at the end of the, uh, at the end of a period, like late period goals. How crippling are those? I mean, we saw one last night with the senators. They're down five, one, they get one late against the the Leafs at the end of the second. Boom! Mm-hmm. They go. They explode in the third. They win it in overtime. Uh, you, you look at a parallel for the Canucks and Flames last night. You know it's two nothing late first. Canucks turn it over late in the period. You know Lucic gets one on the board, and man, that just completely changes the two mindsets for the two teams. But I mean, how devastating are ge- conceding those late period goals for a team? It's yeah, yeah, you know what? It's it, it's um, it, it's a great point uh, from you. Um, you you just play a heck of a period, and you're going up to nothing. You're going up to nothing, and they're going into the locker room. Their confidence is going to be high. They're going to come in to give up a late goal. Uh, is very very deflating, especially when you're a little bit vulnerable. Uh, uh, on the mistake department when they end up in your net too frequently. Uh, great play by Luch. Luch is getting rejuvenated over there. I love the way he's playing. He's uh, he's a throwback. Uh, he keeps the puck in along the boards with a with, with a finish check, and then he goes to his uh, bread and butter, is a high slot, and and uh, releases a cannon, which ends up turning the whole uh, game around just in that one instant. Uh, so it's, uh, like I said, credit to Luch for getting in and all that, but, uh, giving up it's, it's, it's the first minute of the game 
and the last minute of the game. Those are the crucial, crucial. People say more often it's the first five, last five. <laughs> it's more deadly when it's the first minute and it's actually the last minute. They're, they're hard to rebound from, especially when you're a bit of a fragile team right now and uh, with, 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 um, with the amount of exposure and, and uh, stations and, and uh, TV and all that, that uh, and scrutiny that the Canucks are under, uh, those ones are tough to bounce back from. Yeah, they, they come back from that road trip of fragile team, and I don't know how different they are and how much more confidence they have as they jump on the plane and go to Calgary. Todd Bertuzzi well, Pera, joins us as he does. Pera, by the way, I'm looking at this. Like, I'm looking at the standings. Uh, they have 19 games played. They got the uh, Flames one more. They got, two with, they got four with the Jets, two with the Oilers, two with the Leafs, and then two with the Canadians. That ain't, that ain't an easy schedule. And the more games you play, the farther you fall behind. Like, when you're playing the Jets – that's two, four, six. That's eight points right there. And I just watched the Jets play last night too. And they ain't no pushover, man. They're a big, heavy team. Uh, but also with Vancouver, I just want to state also last night's game. I love the pushback that they had last night. And it's not necessarily fighting. It's just being in the faces of your opponents. And, and Calgary is, uh, is, is built to be a bullish team. They got some big boys. They got some guys who can run their mouth, but they can back it up too. And I do think that Vancouver showed a lot of character by uh, pushing back a little bit last night and not letting Calgary bully them around. So uh, I, I think they got the message in that department. I want to share something uh, with you. Uh, Draymond Green uh, spoke last night from the Golden State Warriors, and I feel like this relates not even just for the NBA, but it feels like it relates to probably every sport right now. But this, you know, rumblings right now that Andre Drummond and the Cleveland Cavaliers could be parting ways. The Toronto Raptors said to be interested in landing the four, the two-time All-Star. But listen to Draymond Green explain kind of the hypocrisy between, you know, teams and players when it comes to, you know, a, a player wanting out or a team wanting a player out. Take a listen to this. To watch Andre Drummond before the game uh, sit on the sideline, then go to the back, and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him is bull****. Because when James Harden asked for a trade and essentially dogged it, I don't think there was no surprise or no, you know, there's no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated for one to go to a different team and everybody destroyed that man. And yet a team can come out and say, Oh, we want to trade a guy. And then that guy is to go sit. And if he doesn't stay professional, then he's a cancer and he's not good in someone's locker room. And he's the issue. Is that fair? I mean, it, I mean there's a, there's a real hypocrisy that he kind of speaks on here. Um, well, you know what? You're in a no-win situation with this. It's going to go back to everyone saying the play players are whining. They're complaining and whining. They're getting paid. Why are they complaining and whining? And, and, and yeah, there is a different standard. It's um, If a player asks for a trade, uh, the chances are through the organization that the, uh, there's going to be some massive amount of heat. And we don't have relationships with the media like the teams do. So information can get to media uh, quicker and quieter than it can through player to media. So 
Yeah, it, it, it's a play. Well, we just saw it in Columbus. Yeah. And and I'm I, I'm just I don't know I'm so old school where I'm I'm, I'm just like I'm a, I'm just like play and then privately discuss things without it becoming public. Uh, you can handle things indoor like men. Um, for like what happened with Columbus and Dubois, like near, near the end, it was it was getting like is the team trying to embarrass the kid on purpose? The kid just wants out. Do we need an explanation on why someone wants out? I don't think we do. That's personal. What is the, and that has nothing to do with him making seven million, ten million. That is personal information. I don't go and find out if, if, if in someone else's business why they want to switch companies from Remax to whatever Coldwell Bank or whatever uh, another. But I don't ask reasons why they just they want to move and all that. It's not my business. So why is it really anyone's business why someone wants to leave? And then and then the organization coming out, we didn't get an explanation on why he left. He didn't tell his teammates why he left. Well, is he a bad person and all that just because he didn't want to be there? Like, if you're really looking at it, he didn't want to be there because he didn't like the coach. Plain and simple. And, and you know what you can say? Just shut up and play and stop whining and all that. Some players are looking to protect themselves by putting them in a situation that's better suited for them. And it might not be with that coach. Maybe his situation guys, is better off guys... with another coach and all that. So why should he get ridiculed for looking out for himself and wanting to put himself in a better situation, maybe mentally, that we don't know about? Maybe mentally he couldn't play for torts or whatever. And, and, and it goes back to, this is all the old schools people thinking. It's just like, well, he's the coach, you're the player. Just shut up and play. But things are changing now. They really are. The players are starting to have a voice and, uh, and, and to making. Uh, so it, there's going to be conversations that are going to be uncomfortable. And we're not all going to agree in all this. But I will say, yeah, there is a difference between. If, 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 so if I'm underperformed, the team can come out through their sources and say, hey, James, by the way, don't say where it came from. But, hey, Bertuzzi's uh, playing not very good right now. We're going to put him on the market. So you, you start something up or whatever. Don't say that those things don't have never come up or they haven't happened because they have. I think we all put a blinder on if we say that didn't happen. So, yeah, it's a little bit double standard. But as I say that, I'm still old school, man. It's just if I have a problem or if I wanted to get moving all that, I did it indoors in private. I said, hey, listen, I don't want any mud on your face. There should be no mud on my face. Let's just jointly agree that, hey, it's best way to part ways. So he's, he's, he's not guys, wrong Bert, and he's not right. Bert, did you play with some guys that wore, you know, like you knew they put on that jersey, they don't want it and played hard, but you knew they were just waiting to get moved and wanted to be moved, but they were, as you said, old school and just were going to I, I got, Yeah, place. listen, I, and I'm not going to say that word. I, I don't know. How do you put this without being ridiculed? I'm just going to say hockey players are, are built differently. We really are. Our mentality is when you're in that situation, you're going 100%. And I know that Draymond spoke about hard. He said, hey, listen, you got to call a, a spade a spade. He was just dogging it. And it was true. You can, you can tell. You can see it and all that kind of stuff. I just, I've never been in a situation where someone wanted out and he didn't try. Not in hockey because that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't, that just doesn't fly. Because he'll end up being knocked out in practice by someone if he ain't towing the rope. But you, you can still want out, but still compete. You're doing yourself a favor by be competing harder 
and and, and showcasing yourself more. But uh, but like even when it comes down to the deadline, uh, we we have seen players pulled out of games and all that. But for hockey, I just find it's because of injury. Our sport is so uh, fast and physical and all that. So I do see if a kid or someone has to sit out for uh, uh, two games before the deadline so they can get their max uh, uh, um, trade value for the kid. And all that. I do understand that with injury for that. But, uh, I, but as far as players I play with, no. If someone wanted out, they still competed and they towed the rope because that's just what we're taught to do by our parents and 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 playing on a hockey team throughout the years you just you keep playing and playing and playing until uh you're moved or you can't play anymore well listen man nice to uh nice to catch up uh appreciate all of it a lot to digest and uh before we go just because you brought it up and we didn't uh we, we wanted mm-hmm. to share this with you that greg ballot found this morning and here's perry shooting he scores Giveaway by Todd Bertuzzi. Corey Perry has one. I mean, Greg found it. I mean, it was it wasn't me. Prepare. I mean, Bert, you know, I wouldn't sewer you like that, right? Wow. Good thing I'm not very sensitive to stuff, but that is a classic (laughs) move by you guys. Well played. Well played. And then after that, I nicknamed him. Hey, by the way, after that, I nicknamed him Worm. So he's now Worm forever. Corey Perry doesn't go by Corey Perry. He's just Worm. Just Worm because of that. Snuck in, stole the puck from me, scored, and then I went to the bench and I felt shame. He wormed his way in. <laughs> well, Take and you, fa- and you, and you reached for the room. worm at the bottom of a the bottom of a tequila bottle after that. I'm sure. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a good one. Good job, boys. Take care, buddy. All right. Later, big man. There he is, Todd Bertuzzi, weighing in uh, and pulling no punches this morning in terms of uh, the impact, uh, late period goals, turnovers, and uh, the hypocrisy between management and players. And I think he's spot on there, Pear. Yeah, I mean, it's a little easier now. You can go to social media, and I think players can get their message out. Look at Andre Fleury. Oh, is that your agent who put the old knife in the back? Oh, oh, I had no idea, right? I mean, it's not like, psst, by the way, uh, say something. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. And, and to, to the turnovers, Bert too, right? I mean, Bo Horvat's going to remember that play. Nate Schmidt will remember that play for a long time. It's not playoff hockey, lose a series like Bert's, but it's, it shows experience. Guys can just make those mistakes and it takes a lot to overcome. So, uh, interesting perspective from the big man who's, you know, he's got to be mad at somebody and apparently he's pissed at the city. So now he's got a snow removal. <laughs> fight the good fight. Bert's always fighting somebody, isn't it? Isn't that? Isn't it seem that way? Uh, your Canucks commute coming your way at eight o'clock. Uh, Dan Murphy uh, will join the uh, conversation coming up in a half an hour. And in a moment, we'll talk to one of the best power forwards in women's hockey history and Olympic gold medalist. Carolyn Willette drops by here on your home of the Canucks. It is Sportsnet six fifty. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. It falls apart in little pieces on the floor. Two out to keep together. So you want it more. It falls apart. Ah, the original Roxy House Band, The Odds, gets love this morning on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Your Canucks in a song. Yeah, the odds uh, falls apart. The, uh, you know, I'll tell you what. Uh, after every Canucks game, we play Canucks in a song. What song best sums up the Canucks performance? All those turnovers, pair. 
resulting in a game that they were leading comfortably. It falls apart for the Vancouver Canucks last night, and they fall. Yes, they scratched and clawed back to get that overtime point, but uh, nevertheless, they still allowed the Flames to get away with two points last night uh, for a team that they're 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 battling, and they're going to have to battle uh, for uh, if they're going to try to be serious about claiming a playoff spot in this North Division. You're going to have to win, you know, break everything down into three game series. And Bert was saying, oh, they got Winnipeg for four. There's no easy, there's nothing easy at all in the North Division. Hey, we saw that. We thought the Ottawa Senators were the easy out. They were for the week they were here in Vancouver. They aren't anymore. Surprising our poll question this morning 60% of the people are bitter that the Canucks should have a two points. I actually thought that'd be a lot higher. Reality is, yes, yeah, celebrate. They fought hard in the third, they got that point. But if you look at the standings, uh, if you're picking up points and, and not picking up, you know, four of a possible six, you're not going to be making up too much ground the way things are going to play out in the North Division. Uh, joining us here on the line this morning, uh, one of the most dominant power forwards in the history of women's hockey. Uh, she's an Olympic gold medalist as well. Pretty much a rock star and joining us bright and early this morning, uh, Carolyn Willett. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning, James and Terry. Nice to meet you. Nice to talk to you as well. Um, I guess kind of before we dive in about the excitement of the, the Good Deeds Cup as we get to crunch time, what have you made of the North Division so far this year with uh, you know Canadian on Canadian violence every night across the National Hockey League? Actually, I was listening to you guys speak and I was thinking about that, how much I, I've enjoyed watching more of the Canucks this year, the Oilers, and it's it makes for really great games, great rivalries, and now it's really exciting for for what's ahead, and I I must say I'm very proud of the beginning of the season from the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, well you know, Carolyn, for the most part, you know, we saw it with with uh, uh, Ottawa against Toronto yesterday. They come up, uh, they're down five one. They fight back and win. We saw the Canucks make some mistakes and fought back and at least pick up a point. When you played on the national team, for the most part, games I think you were able to put away. But is, is there something where we've been talking about a team gets life with that late goal? They go to that room, and if there's a certain energy, uh, it can be tough to overcome, isn't it, if you give up something late? Yeah, absolutely. Like in, in last night's game, just a, a, an unfortunate turnover late uh, at the end of the period, and it just gives a lot of energy to a team that gets to go to the locker room and, and feels better about themselves. And on the other side, then... It's a bit deflating to to give out that that goal late in the period, and you know I give the Canucks a lot of credit last night because scoring a goal when you pull your goalie and you're five five, so you're you're down a player. Uh, it took a lot of character, and and unfortunately they they gave up a, a power play goal in OT, but it was a very exciting game and not in death. So, Carolyn, from a player standpoint and an athlete standpoint, do you look at a game like that where you you're at home? You blew a 2 nothing lead, but then you kind of scratch and claw back at the end of the game to force that overtime. Do you look at that as a point gained or a point lost out there against a divisional rival like that? I think you look at it as a lot to learn, right? How to protect the lead when we're, we're in control of a game and how do we make sure that doesn't happen again. But I think... Being able to still come back that late in a game when you're down a player shows a lot of character. And uh, Vancouver, to me, is, is a young team. They're very exciting to watch, and they have a lot of talent, a lot of potential. And uh, I think a lot of games so far this year show that it's never over until it's really over. Teams have come back all throughout the league, and that's why it's 
it makes this season so exciting to watch. It is exciting. Carolyn, it's something that's always great is the Chevrolet Good Deeds Cup. But, man, we know nothing is normal, especially as far as minor hockey is concerned. What can you tell us as we get set for uh, voting and submissions closing in the month of February? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, already the fifth season of the Chevrolet Good Deeds Cup. And this year was a bit different uh, because of the pandemic. So we asked. Uh, teams at the U15, U13, and U11 levels to submit their idea, so their good deed pitch of what they would do with $100,000 for a charity of their choice. And just recently, we announced the 11 regional finalists that are representing each region in Canada. The voting is now open, and until February 24, everyone can vote up to once a day on chevroletgooddeedscup.ca. And as I mentioned, um, you know, the, the team that will win will earn $100,000 for the charity of their choice. And, you know, specifically for, for the people of British Columbia, we're very, very proud of the Victoria, the Victoria Admirals. They submitted a great video. Uh, they want to donate the Good Deeds Cup grand prize of $100,000 to support the Children's Health Foundation of Vancouver Island. Nice. That's fun. Yes, that foundation provides specialized equipment to kids with physical and mental disabilities. And just to give you an example, just last year, the foundation helped over 1,000 kids in their community. So pretty, pretty special. That's awesome. And, and so these are, these, these are the kids uh, over uh, in Victoria right now from the Victoria Admirals. So for people listening right now, uh, whether it's people listening on the island right now, want to kind of support the home team or even here in Metro Vancouver listening or, or anywhere for that matter, how can people help and kind of, you know, give them a little performance enhancer, kind of stuff the ballot box for these guys and, uh, and help them uh, win that $100,000? Yeah, that's what we, we look for is is really people you know supporting their team and, and cheering their team on there's some very special ideas uh, some very special videos so i invite everyone to visit chevrolet good deeds cup and, and watch the 11 video we have you know an idea to make hockey more inclusive uh, specifically for young uh, black girls uh, with uh, canadian training institute uh, helping a pediatric shelter or, or shelter for women um, providing more programs for uh, young kids with Down syndrome, and that was inspired by the life of Joey Moss. So that video is very, very emotional, and uh, it, it was such a great initiative. And it's going to be really, really hard to, to choose a winner amongst so many great ideas. Well, Carolyn, we thank you for this. Uh, you know, I, I think in what we've seen in the last 10 months with our sport that we love in this country and coming up, Hockey Day in Canada is just, we want everyone to be a part of it and, and how, how much good can come from hockey, and certainly the Chevrolet Good Deeds Cup is a big part of it. Thanks for your time. I'm glad you're enjoying to see more Vancouver Canucks hockey. Let's hope you see more wins for our sake as you continue to watch. All right, Carolyn Willette, Olympic gold medalist and uh, Habs fan, leaning towards the Habs here in the North Division as well. But, you know, kind of saw the positives right now uh, in terms of that Canucks bonus point last night, which which kind of lends to the whole debate. You know, do you like the loser point? I mean, it's been around for, what, 15-plus years now here, Pear, but, um, you know, the loser point, you know. Can you can you do you just take it and sheepishly and, and and walk away with it? I mean, you look at the Leafs last night, right? They blow a five-one lead, 
you know, quietly take your loser point and go home right after you get punked like that by the Ottawa Senators, the basement dweller in the North Division. I mean, for the Canucks last night, I mean, you you take solace. That's the first loser point they've got in 19 games this year. Yeah, think of it, it's crazy. Almost 20 games that they've played, and that's the first loser point that they've got all season long. Well, that's what comes back to kill you, right? Is is this team was not in and you know to play a one goal game? That's their second one goal game this season, right? You're not in it. You you love the loser point when you're the one coming from behind, but not when you're the one that has a two goal lead and you you can't close it out and you make the mistakes that they made. I mean, Travis Green and the we played well and they did. You could argue again the Canucks were probably the better team for 42 of the 60 minutes, so they dominate three games against Calgary. And, and Calgary leaves with four points uh, of the possible six. Canucks leave with three. You can't do that and look at the standings and go, are we leapfrogging and making progress over anyone? So to me, I'm surprised there's been as many people that go, you know what, I'll take the point. Sure, but that's not going to get it done. And I just don't know if this team jumps on a plane today, goes to Calgary with that much more confidence than they had when they came back from that Eastern trip. Yeah, you played well, but how long can you keep on saying that, right? You quelled some some people who were worried on Saturday night. You, you pushed yesterday, but in, then don't look at the standings. Maybe that's the thing. Just judge by performance and not the standings. Then they're easier to take. But the standings will always show that terrible three weeks and the losing skid that you had, and that's where you're going to remain unless you're turning it around and playing and winning four or five, and I just don't see it on the schedule that they have. All right, 741 here on this uh, Tuesday morning edition. Uh, your Canucks commute coming up at the top of the clock. We'll be joined by uh, Sportsnet's Dan Murphy, uh, who will join the discussion as well as the Canucks fall again last night. A 4-3 decision to the Calgary Flames in overtime. They'll play again tomorrow night, only this time at the Saddle Dome in Calgary. And in a moment, we'll hit the music. A lot of submissions continue to pour in for your Canucks in a song. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your submissions in. And we'll hit the music Canuck style next right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Definitely, uh, we definitely blew this one for sure. You blew it! This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. I mean, you could say the Canucks certainly blew it last night, squandering a 2 nothing lead at home, but not to the degree that the Leafs blew it last night against the Ottawa Senators, who come back from a 5-1 deficit. They get a late goal at the end of the second period. Oh, those late period goals, Perry. And I tell you, oh man. Here's the thing, man. Your hometown where you were raised, why is it the Leafs blew it? Like, why didn't we just go, how about the Sens last night? The greatest comeback in the history of the organization. And I'd rather play that card than like I thought I was over disliking Toronto or Montreal. I grew up, I wasn't a big Montreal fan. Um, and I don't have a problem with the Leafs playing well, but I, I did find myself going, oh, come on, Ottawa, put them away. Put them away. Let there be some questions with the Toronto Maple Leafs because with every team in the North Division right now, 
I think there's been a point where they've gone, boy, we're not really sure about that. Montreal, the last week, they've kind of wondered where has our game gone considering start. Toronto's kind of been able to gloss it all over. I, I, I need some doubt in Toronto. I, I'm sure that in Ottawa it'll be celebrated as just an incredible achievement because for the first time in franchise history they come back from a four-goal deficit and win like they did in overtime. But, I mean, when you're projected and the standings and the numbers dictate that you are – in the conversation for being the best team in the league right now, or at least the best team in the North Division, and you allow that to happen to the worst, but you know the worst team, if not in the league, in the division, does that to you, and comes back in the final what, twenty, twenty minutes and thirty seconds, and they come back to beat you like that. I mean that is that is savage. I mean that is that is embarrassing from a Leaf standpoint. Uh, but I'll tell you. Marcus Holberg, it probably won't get talked enough uh, because, you know, in a 6-5 game, you talk about goaltending saves. But Holberg makes an insanely good stop on Mitch Marner in overtime. That leads to the transition for Ottawa going the other way, and they put it back behind Freddie Anderson to get that win. But, man, uh, that's something to build on because you think about how many kids are on that team. Like, that's a win that you look at within that room and you think of all the kids on that Senators team, that's one that you kind of look at and say, man, if that doesn't unite a group, boy. Well, as as uh, Edge and Port Moody pointed out to us earlier on our text line, and you, you can always do this, the if and nuts, you know, uh, if and buts, candy and nuts, but you take away the Vancouver-Ottawa series. Vancouver, their wins are eliminated. Ottawa's losses are. Canucks are 4-10-1, and, and the Sens are 4-9-1. Now, is Vancouver and Ottawa, Ottawa, are they the same teams? Are they on the same trajectory? No, but it does show you that even though the Canucks have said we've played some pretty good hockey in the last four games, they've only won one. And Ottawa, what we saw from that team, which was pathetic, a Canucks team going, okay, never any concern during that series, even though outshot that they weren't the better team and they would pick up the two points. Uh, but there's some fight in Ottawa. If you've watched them play recently, to your point, to get a win like that, they will be the team that plenty of people thought they would. Yeah, maybe not enough talent, but if they're going to battle for 60 minutes, they're going to upset some people. If you're a Canuck fan, you hope they do that to the Winnipegs and the Calgarys because that's how they're going to gain, gain some ground. What do you say we hit the music here? Your Canucks in a do song. It. A lot of submissions pouring in here. Uh, Justin here on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. He's going with a little radio head because you do it to yourself. It's just. You do it to yourself. You do Oh, man. Pair, yeah. like, they did it. And three costly turnovers, and they all wound up in the back of the net. They played better again defensively, right? I mean, that is so right with the song. It's how are you doing that? Bo, how did, did you misread? Did you think Quinn Hughes was coming across? And they made mistakes early on. I was on earlier, but, you know, if I got to rank the top six forwards on this team, I don't know if JT Miller is better than five or six. He throws the puck away early again, and they make those mistakes. You know, it's funny how music can recap a hockey game, but you do it to yourself, Justin. That's exactly what makes it tough and frustrating to watch this team. Eliminate those glaring mistakes, and you're much better off and not going, oh, we, we played well, and sometimes the result's not what you see on the ice. Yeah, it is, unfortunately, when you look in the standings. Uh, Vance in the Loops going with a little Pat Benatar. It's heartbreaker. You're a heartbreaker. Dream maker. Love taker. Don't you miss it. 
You know, you can pick your poison as to what was the most heartbreaking moment, right? Is it, you know, the Horvat turnover? Is it the Nate Schmidt WTF moment of the game from behind the net and tucks it in as it goes off to base stick and in uh, for the 3-2 Calgary goal? Or was it just simply getting your hopes up to force overtime and the only thing that you were missing for the deja vu from 2004 in the playoffs against the Flames was Ed Jovanovski going absolutely bonkers in the penalty box, right? I don't know. You'd need a defibrillator to, in order to get some sort of charge like that from Quinn Hughes from an emotional standpoint, right? But that was the only thing that was missing. Well, he was too tired because he had two-minute shifts on the ice half the time that he could oh have uh, that kind of energy. Gosh, he plays a lot of hockey, which is maybe a little bit of an indictment or they just say keep on going. Uh, you know, someone had texting, you know, it's just easier to believe they won't win and you can avoid the heartbreaker. They haven't won in 52 years. They're not going to win in your lifetime. They're not going to win in my lifetime. You can't take the defeatist purpose, but I do understand that that's some of the feelings that are out there right now. How about the crypto cow going with old school? Man, there is a certain vintage that will appreciate this one and a certain vintage that will go, huh? It's from the show Hee Haw. It's gloom, despair, and agony. Gloom, despair, and agony only. Deep, dark depression, excessive miseries. Fair, I know you remember Hee Haw. Well, that was the girl in the tank top, wasn't it? <laughs> Among other things, yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Nicely done. Uh, Mike and Mission, uh, going with a little Bare Naked Ladies Canadian content. It's One Little Slip. One Little Slip. One Little Slip. It was a fusion of confusion and a few confounding things. I get the I mean, there were three little slips last night in particular, but it's when things go just that. It just speaks to the fragility of this team, though, right now, Pear. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, because you're, you're, it's almost like they're waiting for the mistake. I don't, know if, I don't know if they jump over the boards going, let's create or let's not make a mistake. And if you're jumping over there and the thought process is let's not make a mistake, you're in trouble. Like, honestly... And I've said it for the last three weeks, and so many people chiming in about Hoglander. He's been their most consistent and dangerous forward in these last three weeks of turmoil. And that kid plays like, I'm not worried that I'm going to make a mistake. I mean, he's just a bulldozer there, goes hard to the net. And, yeah, he may make the mistakes in his own end, but you don't see it. The work rate is so good, he's playing with more confidence than anybody on that team. And you just hope that others I'll, – I'll give this. I thought Anton Roussel was really good. I think he's skating better than he has in a couple years. Noticeable. Show me a little bit of jump. That was there. But it's the mistake, and it's coming from players you don't expect. You know, Bo Horvat and then Nate Schmidt, who have we yet to see. You know, someone give the M&M, please stand up. Will the real Nate Schmidt please stand up? Because that's what you're waiting to see. Uh, five minutes to 8 o'clock. Your Canucks commute coming up next. Dan Murphy will join the conversation. Keep your submissions in for your Canucks and a song, 650-650. Uh, your questions, your submissions, your thoughts from last night's game as well, 650-650. We welcome all of it. I'll chime in with – I guess I'll be the one nitpicker, I guess, with Niels Hoaglander. And it, it's a small nitpick, but it's a nitpick nonetheless. We'll get to it next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. They're not coffee drinkers, but they still keep it right in the mornings. The first minute of the game and the last minute of the game, those are the crucial, crucial. People say more often it's the first five, last five. 
<laughs> it's more deadly when it's the first minute and it's actually the last minute. They're, they're hard to rebound from, especially when you're a bit of a fragile team right now and uh, those ones are tough to bounce back from. The Canuck Commute on the starting lineup. Eight o'clock, what's happening, boys and girls? Hour number three of the starting lineup in this hour, a presentation of our good friends at Surrey Honda. Visit Nasir and the gang over at Surrey Honda, located at 152nd and Fraser Highway. You'll find quality and community. Uh, not a lot of quality. I mean, there were some moments, but not enough, uh, as the Canucks fall 4-3 in overtime to the Calgary Flames last night. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski with you. So glad you're joining us. Uh, reminder, the Dunbar Lumber text line always open at 650-650. Um, you can also find us in different ways uh, to listen. Uh, you can listen on HD3 at 96.9, crystal clear, high def, uh, also on the Sportsnet app. And, uh, hey, if you ever miss a moment, you can always find us in the podcast section wherever podcasts are posted. Uh, you can always find every hour oh, of Ask show. Alexa too, right? Just ask Alexa to play sports at six fifty. Yeah, I mean, don't get in trouble. I mean, you don't want to, you know, cause any unrest in a happy household. But uh, yeah, if you want to, if you want to slide into Alexa's DMs and uh, send her a sure. note, uh, I'll say this, James. Last night, as, as we heard Todd Bertuzzi, we'll play a little more Bird at eight thirty. Todd joins us every Tuesday morning uh, at seven o'clock. Um, did you not think when they got to overtime, if they're killing that penalty, they're winning this game? Like, I think they had 34, 35 seconds left to kill uh, on the on the power play in overtime. But did you not? Because, as Bert said, first minute, last minute, you get that late goal by Besser that kill the penalty this team's winning. Well, I was, you know what? Yeah, I guess there was probably that brief hope. No, uh, actually, sorry. When they got the point, I thought, you know what? They'll get the point, and they're going to blow this in overtime. And and the reason why, because I took the Canucks last night on the money line and I took them on the under. So I was <laughs> I was wrong not just once, but I was I was wrong in both areas. The one time I thought, eh, okay, you know what, we're gonna follow this theme of low scoring games with the Flames. Yeah, it didn't happen. I had the over. So the best goal was twofold. Nice, Brock. Now we're going to overtime, and thanks. That's the over. Uh, yeah, and it's, you know, a lot of people texting in, too, because we've been talking about Holglander. I think he's been great. Matt said you got to talk about how many times he missed the net. I, I was with Matt, and this, you look at the stats and go, why do they only have him with one missed shot? Like, Holglander, to me, he creates so many opportunities. The fear factor, it's, it's like Pedersen when they started the year. Like, just hit the net. Just put it on the net, and you'll see what will happen. He creates so many chances, and I know Yannick Hansen is on this station quite a bit. Yannick created a lot of chances too, but the hands weren't there. Hoaglander has the mitts. You know that. Eventually, this guy's going to start sniping because there is no shortage of him creating opportunities. Has been for the last three weeks and will continue to. Once he starts to snipe, it makes things a little bit easier for everybody, I'm sure. Well, that's, that's my one nitpick. That's my one nitpick here, I will say, with, with Hoaglander because – Last night, he led all players in shots on goal with five and shot attempts with eight. And he leads all rookies in the NHL right now in shots on goal with almost 40. He's got 38 shots on goal on the season. Now, think about all the other times that he's just gripping it and ripping it and it's just going you know, off the glass, high and wide, off the boards, whatever. At some point, you'd like to see him finish on some of those releases. I like the fact that he's taking shots and he's not afraid to, but he's got one assist in the last eight games, right? And not to say that you you got to rely on a rookie to score, but he's noticeable out there. That's the encouraging thing. He's hustling. He's putting the effort forward, but he's pointless in six. He's playing in the top six. 
And if it's anybody else uh, in that top six pair, if you've got just one assist in the last eight games, you're on them, right? If that's Bo Horvat, if that's Elias Pettersson, if that's JT Miller, if that's Brock Besser, if that's Tanner Pearson, you know, if one of those individuals go pointless in six or one assist in eight games and you're playing in the top six, you know, you need more. And I would just say with the, I like the effort. I like the fact that he's fearless out there, but I also want to see some finish if you're playing in a top six scoring role. Well, I would argue that he's the guy who's creating all the chances they're having on that line when it's five on five, right? If you're not getting those chances, uh, I would say, yeah, if you're getting him and not finishing, sure, but he's actually creating them. He's creating them for his line mates. So I think they're quite fun. I think when you look at that top six right now, He's the least of my guys going, he's not doing his job. He's doing more than enough. His line mates could even help him out. I understand your point. You're in that top six role you need to produce. I would argue right now, if I look at the top six guys, the one guy that's playing nowhere near his standard, I know people aren't PD. I just think JT Miller. The expectations are here is a long-term guy who's proven he can play in the league, put up some big numbers last year. Expectations should have been higher on himself and this team, and he's failed it and still – Big giveaway very early on yesterday that could have turned in a goal, but he got the save. Gives it right to Johnny Goudreau. Going, what are you making that cross-ice pass for? And it's continued with JT Miller. It just It seems like it's been taking him a while to wake up. But uh, Hoaglander finishing, scoring, I think that's coming. I got nothing but good things to say about that kid. You know, it's, it's funny because Miller, the turnovers have been glaring for JT Miller, right? And he puts one right on the stick of Johnny Goudreau right at the beginning of the game last night, and Goudreau fumbles the puck away, and the Canucks kind of catch a break. But if you look at the numbers statistically this season, you know, JT Miller, 16 games, 14 points, right? He's close to a point-a-game player this season. He's played three less games, and he has more points than Elias Pettersson. Mm-hmm. And yet there's there doesn't seem to be any sort of concern for Pedersen. And it's the you know, people talk about how reckless JT Miller is or just off his game, and I get it. Like JT Miller, whether it's a market correction from last year, look, the Canucks inherited a guy who was pretty much a fifty point player and he led the team in scoring last year. Was were we due for a market correction here? If there was a number that you could statistically look to and say, is there somebody who might have a harder time maintaining what he produced last season with the Canucks? JT Miller was the guy, and I think you were on board. I think you, we were on the same page with this. Mm-hmm. Pe- Pedersen, to me, at, at times I'm looking at it going, he's played 19 games. Now, has Petey been terrible? I don't think he's been terrible, but I would say that has there been a game for a guy who's kind of viewed as the franchise player for this team? Has Petey won a game for this team yet? Has has he done no. that? No. Like at 13 points so far this season in 19 games. Like there's a guy who statistically has taken a step back this year compared to what you've seen, not just in year one, not just in year two, but here we are in his third year. He's taking a step back now, it seems. Uh, I would say that the only thing with, with Pedersen and even with Hughes and why there was a little bit of, uh, of hesitation is you still look at how young they are and the responsibility that was going to be thrown on them. Um, I, I think when you looked at the top six, you realized, okay, Bo Horvat has been here a long time and Bo steps his game up in the playoffs, so you expect that to continue with, with no droughts there. Um, also, that, that's what you think with JT Miller. Yeah, was last year the outlier? Quite possibly. Uh, Might have been the case, but you expect there's your seasoned veteran who will be okay. Tanner Pearson is kind of always what you expect from Tanner Pearson. And so there was a few more unknowns to that. 
But at the end of the day, this whole team will go on how that lotto line is playing, how that lotto line is playing five on five, and, and what the expectations are. This team wasn't going to get better without everybody growing and playing better than we saw last year. And maybe that just doesn't happen as quick as we'd like to see. And you, you see some people step backwards before they can go forwards, which is something that we talked about with Murph in the offseason, that they may take a step back only to get better next year, and that may be the case. Uh, 650, 650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. I, w- I want to play a clip here uh, from Travis Green and his thoughts on what he saw from the power play last night, particularly the top unit. Uh, I think a lot of people take an issue with the power play right now. I think even Travis last night took some issue with what he saw. Well, there's been games where I've said that I think they've been good and they just haven't scored. I, I didn't think they were they were very good tonight. I just didn't think they were sharp. Their passing wasn't sharp. They're on the outside. Um, give the other team credit, too. When you get in, in mini-series like this, teams do make adjustments as the series goes on, and their penalty killers did a, did a good job tonight. But I thought our power play could have been better tonight. So the Canucks go two for six with the man advantage last night. There were opportunities that were there. I, I just sometimes wonder why not consider switching roles with Besser and Miller. You know, Besser's shot seems to be back right now. And, you know, I brought this up last week. I talked to an NHL scout about this recently as well, saying why is Besser in parked in front of the net with that shot? He seems miscast. That's one tweak I think that the Canucks could look at trying to make. Newell Brown obviously runs that unit, and I think that's an area that you could kind of look if you wanted to try to tweak things. Let's bring in Dan Murphy here who joins us here on the Bright and Early. By the way, loved the van down by the river, Matt Foley shirt last yes. night. Casual, nicely done, well played. Your shirt game is still Subtle. good, Murph. Yeah, well, I mean, that's got to be one of the, the, the all-time great skits from Saturday Night Live back in uh, – the days when I used to watch it. I don't watch it as much anymore. My wife still religiously watches it, but I don't find myself tuning in as much. Not that it's not good, but I'm more of a... It's a generational thing. Guy. It's a generational yeah. thing, Murph. Yeah. yeah like, Murph, I, you would have enjoyed the Peloton, though, this past weekend. You would have had a chuckle. <laughs> What's that? The Peloton. The Peloton one? The Peloton. It's Peloton. Yeah. For oh, those Peloton. who don't want to go, good job, keep working harder. For a guy who's in the gym as often as you are, you would have had a chuckle with it. That's <laughs> I heard there was a good uh, skit on on drinking as well. So I might yes. Go, uh, oh my God! I played it for Brenda the other night, and it was like, "This is you and your girlfriends here." <laughs> so I might have to play that one. <laughs> or as well. it could so be I, us. I know actually. they're all recorded. They're all recorded, so I can watch it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, point gained or point lost? I'd say probably a point lost overall. I just think missed opportunities. Um, and a, and a couple bonehead mistakes, you know, like, I mean, it, it's hard to say, you know, uh, you know, they obviously gained a point with a late goal and that's, that, that's a positive, but I think overall, if you look at the totality of the game, um, you know, it was their, uh, it was their worst game in the last four. Um, but I, I think that also speaks a little bit to uh, the team is playing better where they're now at the point where they don't have a great game and they're able to eke out a result. But, you know, all those power plays um, in the first period, uh, you're a 2 nothing lead. You maybe could have been more, and then you kind of give up. I don't want to see a backbreaker in the last minute, but, you know, just a life giver, right? A lifeline uh, to the Flames who go into the period feeling much better about themselves and obviously have a great second period. So I'm going to say overall a point lost just because I think the game was there to be won. And with just a couple of tidy-ups, Obviously, the, the obvious ones, you know, Horvat just a little careless with the pass. 
um, and Schmidt you know, right through the crease off Dubé and in. Um, those, again, are kind of back to gift-wrapping goals for teams. Now, before they were playing terrible and doing that, uh, now they're playing better and still uh, giving up some of those great A chances off boneheaded plays. So I think they're still moving in the right direction. But last night was a, you know, a little bit of a step back uh, compared to the way they had played the previous three. Um, power play standpoint, um, there was some nitpicking with it. I mean, do you consider a, a, a flipping of, of, of spots for, for Miller and Brock? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I know they made switches last night, too, where they had uh, Miller and PD on the offside trying to go downhill a little bit more a couple times, a different look. You know, you know what? I wouldn't mind. I mean, you know, you could you could ask for uh, best would be more in a shooting spot. I, I might give Niels Holglander a shot on the top unit um, and maybe at the expense of Miller. I'm not sure. But um, in terms of puck retrieval, I think overall, for me, I think when the power play looks good is when there's some urgency to it right? When they're whipping the puck around with the passes. Um, and I didn't see the urgency last night. Maybe it's because you're in the first period and you're up, you know, one nothing and 2 nothing. But I just think when they're moving the puck quickly, they open up lanes and they get into better shooting spots. And that's uh, for uh, Miller, for Pedersen. Um, I don't want to say that Brock is miscast in front of the net, uh, but you could see his disappointment a number of times last night, missing tips that he thought he should have had. Uh, so maybe, maybe a different look might might help this group right now. Um, but if I'm looking at last night, that's part of the problem, right? Missed opportunities on the power play. And if you want to make a couple of changes, sure. But I think you can probably still get it done with that group with a little bit more urgency and just a little more Christmas. Well, and here's what I and, – and, and Shorty and Cheech pointed it out, Murph, and I think it was the first period when they had so many power plays. I mean, we look at, at the, the giveaways, you know, Horvat. You look at everything that ends up in the back of the net. But there was one power play, and Jordan Cheech brought it up. I, I swear to God, three different guys just tried busting right up the middle and take on three mm-hmm. flames to gain the zone. Yeah. To me, that's just as bad as mistake on. What are you thinking? Like, why would you be doing that? There's no way that you work on the power play. You know what? Go go one on three, and then that's how we're going to sit up. To me, that's as bad as mental mistake as ones that end up in the back of your net. Yeah, and it happened multiple times, right? I mean, teams are trying to take away the drop pass, so then you have puck carriers like Hughes try to get in gain the blue line, uh, and then chip it over to the wall to support. But um, the Flames did a good job at closing off the blue line. You know, three, four guys are moving in to, uh, to attack the puck carrier, and it's gone back the other way, and another 15, 20 seconds are off the clock. But that's what I mean. It just kind of seemed like just a little bit boneheaded, not to, you know, not executing the way you should. I mean, I understand that play when they take away the take away the drop pass. You move in, and then you move it a little bit earlier over to the wing and try to gain it on the wall. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just sometimes uh, maybe you're not thinking clearly or sometimes, you know, you're trying to do a little bit too much. And I think that when we're talking about JT Miller, that's still kind of the case right now with him. Um, You know, I don't doubt the effort is there. But last year, remember, we we praised him so much for hanging on to the puck to make a play. And it worked out more often than not. Right now, it's not working out. So when it's not working out, you have to switch it a little bit. You have to get rid of the puck a little bit earlier and you have to stop turning it over so again i'm not questioning the try but you know sometimes when things aren't working you have to change it up until you get that confidence back until you can make those plays again and uh and clearly there's a few guys in this team that aren't feeling it it's just it's just the simple mistakes though right it's mm-hmm. it's this the, it's the fragility of this team doesn't it speak volumes to where this is at right now i mean mm-hmm. look i mean th- this team has played pretty good hockey over the last four straight games right <laughs> in the grand yeah. scheme of things murph it hasn't been that bad and yet it's just 
it's that fine line that this team has, what, one win out of those four games where of those four games, at least in three of them, I could say the Canucks were the better team. Last night, I think you yeah. could kind of flip a coin. I thought the Flames were sure. just as good as the Canucks for the most part last night. But, you know, yeah. that's, the, that's the, the fragility of this team. But I, And I still think this team is – it's night and day from where they were two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, at, at that time, they were dead last or near the bottom, and we talked about it, and shots against, high danger chances against, all this stuff. I'm not sure what it finished last night. I haven't looked at the numbers. But the three previous games, I mean, they were averaging 37 shots for and 21 shots against. I mean, that's a huge turnaround. Clearly, they've made improvements. Clearly, they've made adjustments, and they're playing better. The problem is um, – they don't have uh, much time here to make sure they can get this thing turned around, right? They, they've, they've used up any grace period by having such a poor start, by losing a bunch of those games when they were playing so poorly. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, in a regular season, you make a couple plays like that, and you like the Horvat or the Schmidt, you're like, okay, well, we got enough time to recover. Well, they don't have a lot of time to recover at this point. Um, you know, now you're in a spot where if you feel like you need to win all these little mini series uh, to, to in order to try to get a playoff spot, well, you need to win tomorrow night in Calgary to take five out of eight points, right? And that's an, and you have to hold them to no points. Uh, otherwise, it's just a split. Um, so you put yourself in precarious positions, um, and I, I don't think they look as fragile as they did. Um, but you know, you just can't do some of the things they're still doing because. More often than not, it's still ending up in their own net. It's a collective uh, when you lose, but we always pinpoint, and we've been on JT Miller and all that. What do you make of Nate Schmidt? I expected more, but you go, okay, you're learning a new system. He's had some bad luck, said it last week. I've never had these two things happen to me, off my skate to a stick, off somebody's butt, off my butt and in. Honestly, I've never had it happen to me, and I'm sure that would have been the answer of last night. Is he, well, is he fighting it? I, I wouldn't say he's fighting it. And I think last night's mistake was different from the other ones. The other ones are just bad luck. I mean, there's nothing you can yeah. do about it. Uh, last night was just a bad play, right? Trying to force it up the middle uh, when there was pressure. Um, maybe Demko could have put him in a, in a better spot, but I mean, the puck was right on his tape and he just made the wrong read and the wrong play. And, uh, you know, uh, in a 2-2 game, that's a critical, critical error. Um, you know, I'll, I'll leave it to some of the, the analytics guys that say that his game actually hasn't been that bad. He's been maybe their most consistent defender. But mm-hmm. what I've said is that, you know, what we saw with him in Vegas, um, he was always up the ice. He was such an offensive guy. Um, and we haven't seen that here. And, and maybe that's because he is trying to, uh, you know, work out the kinks in the system. He is trying to be defense first. And let's be honest, this team isn't as good as Vegas, right? You know, you don't have the freedom to roam as much as perhaps you did uh, with those Golden Knights teams. So, um, you know, I don't think he has been as bad as some people are saying. I just don't think he stood out as much as I think Canucks fans would have hoped. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, man. Uh, we always count on you. You're as good as we hoped, and in fact, better for that matter. Well, sometimes I don't answer the phone, but I've been pretty good recently. <laughs> yeah, you have been on a streak. Yeah, you've been on yeah. a run, buddy. You've been three, weeks in a, three weeks in a row. <laughs> you nailed it. We you don't expect it, much in Vancouver. Hey, when it comes to Canucks hockey, we don't expect much. The bar is low, Murph. Three weeks in a row, we'll take it. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, then maybe I can just avoid it next week, but we'll see. Hey, 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 hey. We just pumped your tires. The least you could do is give us till the end of the month, right? Yeah, we'll see. 
We'll see how long. Wait till March. Wait till you can spring. You know what? Use the uh, spring the clocks ahead an hour uh, in three weeks. All right, do that. You know, at least have an excuse built in for that one. Well, I'll keep you guessing. Okay. I'm not going to make any promises. See you, Brett. Dan Murphy. Away and in uh, with his thoughts here on Sportsnet 650 on your Canucks commute uh, as the Canucks back at it tomorrow. Um, the fourth straight meeting with the Flames uh, tomorrow night. And I, w- I would assume that Jacob Markstrom will play again their pair with um, with with the way that the schedule is kind of lined up. The Flames play back-to-backs this weekend, so I would think you can go give Jacob Markstrom a break then. But I don't see why he you wouldn't just continue to ride him out for the sixth meeting of the season between these two teams. Well, I, I agree with Markstrom, but what happens for the Canucks? Do you go I with go Thatcher Holby. Demko? I go with right. Holby. You, you, ah, I think they play Thatcher Demko. I, I think they want to prove that Thatcher can handle it. And, you know, if, if you want to replace Jacob Markstrom and he's putting on the pads yet again, then you do the same thing. I, I don't blame anything on Thatcher Demko yesterday. I thought he was good. Wasn't great. Great they get the win. Um, but I would think they go with Thatcher Demko again and say, here you go, kid. That's the guy you're replacing. He's doing it again. You got a day off to rest. You go do it again. That'd be interesting to see the call. I understand your hopey thought. I'd go Demko. I just, you know what? I, I, I don't think Demko was terrible last night, but the fact is that, you know, I think I would have liked to have seen a stop on at least one of those uh, one of those markers last night. The, the Goudreau angle in overtime, just from a weird borderline impossible angle, and it finds a way in. Um, you know, the clean shot on that 2-2 goal as well. Uh, you know, yes, I, I hated the Horvat turnover. I didn't like the way the defensive coverage was kind of laid out by Jordy Ben, who played way too much to the left side. Um, what are you doing on that one? But, I, I, you know, for a long shot like that, I think you kind of want to see your goalie make that stop. Nevertheless, uh, I'd lean towards Braden Holpe for that one. Well, we'll see if they uh, if they do that. They're a more confident group jumping on the plane, but they're a third of the way through the season. And you can look at the game and go, good fight in the third period, good push, you picked up a point. Yeah, you got the point, and, and that's that. Uh, All right, uh, 24 minutes after 8 o'clock here on this uh, Tuesday morning. Canucks back at it tomorrow. Todd Bertuzzi joined us bright and early this morning, weighing in with some of his thoughts. We'll get to Big Bert Plus, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll get some more of your submissions for Canucks in a song. What song best sums up the Canucks' performance last night? A lot of suggestions already. We'll hit the music next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Oh, great submission on your uh, Canucks and a song on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Little Joan Jett, I hate myself for loving you. How many Canucks fans does that sum up right now, Perry? How many? Nice job by everybody in Canucks and a song. If you're unaware after every game, you, you, you really find and encapsulate your feelings in a song. Yeah, that's the problem. We've had people, why do we get sucked into this hockey team? Was there success in the summertime in this crazy environment? Did it hurt us? And now we sit, we watch, we go, and as Joan Jett says, we hate ourselves for loving you. Uh, That was it last night. But 
Did they disappoint? 40% of you are happy they picked up that point. I thought more people would be harder on the team than they are. But, man, you look at the schedule ahead, who knows if they can turn it around. But nice job by great submissions about the, the roller coaster that is being a Vancouver Canuck fan. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's my submission for your Canucks in a song this morning. You know, factoring in that they squandered a 2 nothing lead on home ice, the fact that they had three critical turnovers that wound up in the back of the net, I'm going with the song that probably still gives so many parents nightmares because they've heard it so much over the last seven years. But you got to hear it again because it's my Canucks in a song. It's the theme from Frozen, Let It Go. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold you back anymore. Let it go, let I mean, it go. let it go. Let go of the wind. Let go of the puck. Let it go. It's like this running joke we have in the house here, Perry. The kids all love sharing this one with me every other week, it feels like. Why can't Elsa hold a balloon? Because she might let it go. Let it go. Like the Canucks did last night. Yeah, shoot the puck. You need to do that. Mike Canucks in a song. I just was looking at, you need something from the lotto line. You need more from those guys. Lotto, lotto, lotto. There are not a lot of songs with lotto, but there is a lot of songs with lotta. You know what they're going to need to get out of this? A lot of love. You're not going too far without the lot of. The lot of line got to do it for you. That's as simple as that, man. It will come to those three guys in that line that said, we think we're as good as any line in the NHL. All right, man, you got to prove it. You got to prove it on a regular night. It's up to the lot of line to take this team. Uh, table saw James suggesting that the uh, Canucks theme song should still be the Benny Hill theme, Yakety Sax. Uh, you could play that for any Canucks low lights montage, and it would totally make sense. I love this submission here. How about this one from Gary Jules, Mad World? I find it hard to tell you. Find it hard to take when people run in circles. It's a very, very Pair, this was, I think, like the, the, the song for uh, a video game uh, commercial. I think Gears of War going back years ago. But man, such a great uh, remake uh, cover of uh, the original song done by Tears for Fears all those years ago. But Gare Jewels, man, the haunting version. And man, the Canucks were haunted by all those turnovers last night. Uh, yeah, they were. I mean, they're, they're just glaring, right? They're just glaring in the fact that those mistakes are in the back of the net. And, you know, Todd Bertuzzi, who we'll hear from in a moment, said, yeah, you remember those. And it's not on Demko to, to make that save all the time. It's just sometimes it's bad luck. But when you make that mistake, I think on the bench they realize it. it's tough to play perfect. you got to play with a little bit of instinct. But right now it almost feels like they have to be perfect. They did it pretty much on Saturday night. And uh, they were good for two periods last night. Give them, give them credit. I didn't think they would show the fight and resolve they did in that third period. And they got it from everybody. 
Shout out to uh, Minor Matt and Abbotsford for that submission, by the way, this morning on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. It is uh, the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650, a presentation of Surrey Honda. Visit Surrey Honda located at 152nd and Fraser Highway. Surrey Honda, where you'll find quality and community. He's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Sabalski. Todd Bertuzzi joins us every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., and today was no different. Big Burt weighing in on a lot of different things, not only with the Canucks, but also kind of what happened last Last night in the NBA, as Draymond Green took aim at the hypocrisy of the NBA and athletes, how right now, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there's been some rumblings that the Toronto Raptors are keeping close tabs or maybe interested in trading for Andre Drummond, the two-time All-Star. And the Cleveland Cavaliers have basically parked Drummond from playing any games right now, trying to protect this asset before the NBA's trade deadline in about five weeks from now. Well, you look on the flip side to when a player wants out, they kind of get ripped. Here was Draymond Green last night, and here's how Big Bert redacted to it. To watch Andre Drummond before the game uh, sit on the sideline, then go to the bat, and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him is bull****. Because when James Harden asked for a trade and essentially dogged it, I don't think there was no surprise or no, you know, there's no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated for one to go to a different team and everybody destroyed that man. And yet a team can come out and say, oh, we want to trade a guy. And then that guy is to go sit. And if he doesn't stay professional, then he's a cancer and he's not good in someone's locker room and he's the issue. Is that fair? I mean, it, I mean there's a there's a real hypocrisy that he kind of speaks on here. Um, well, you know what? You're in a no-win situation with this. It's going to go back to everyone saying the, play, the players are whining. They're complaining and whining. They're getting paid. Why are they complaining and whining? And, and, and yeah, there is a different standard. It's um, if a player asks for a trade, uh, the chances are through the organization that the, there's going to be some massive amount of heat. And we don't have relationships with the media like the teams do. So information can get to media uh, quicker and quieter than it can through player to media so yeah if, if a player well we just saw it in columbus yeah and and i'm I, i'm just i don't know i'm so old school where i'm i'm, I'm just like i'm i'm just like play and then privately discuss things without it becoming public uh you can handle things indoor like men um for like what happened with columbus and dubois like Near, near the end, it was it was getting like, is the team trying to embarrass the kid on purpose? The kid just wants out. Do we need an explanation on why someone wants out? I don't think we do. That's personal. What is uh, and that has nothing to do with him making seven million, ten million. That is personal information. I don't go and find out if, if, if in someone else's business why they want to switch companies from Remax to whatever Coldwell Bank or whatever uh, another but I don't ask reasons why they just they want to move and all that it's not my business so why is it really anyone's business why someone wants to 
leave. And then, and then the organization coming out, we didn't get an explanation on why he left. He didn't tell his teammates why he left. Well, is he a bad person and all that just because he didn't want to be there? Like, if you're really looking at it, he didn't want to be there because he didn't like the coach. Plain and simple. And, and you know what you can say? Just shut up and play and stop whining and all that. Some players are looking to protect themselves by putting them in a situation that's better suited for them. And it might not be with that coach. Maybe his situation guys, is better off guys... with another coach and all that. So why should he get ridiculed for looking out for himself and wanting to put himself in a better situation, maybe mentally, that we don't know about? Maybe mentally he couldn't play for torts or whatever. And, and, and it goes back to, this is all the old schools people thinking. It's just like, well, he's the coach, you're the player. Just shut up and play. But things are changing now. They really are. The players are starting to have a voice and, uh, and, and to making. Uh, so it, there's going to be conversations that are going to be uncomfortable. And we're not all going to agree in all this. But I will say, yeah, there is a difference between. If, 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 so if I'm underperformed, the team can come out through their sources and say, hey, James, by the way, don't say where it came from. But, hey, uh, Bertuzzi's playing not very good right now. We're going to put him on the market. So you, you start something up or whatever. Don't say that those things don't have never come up or they haven't happened because they have. I think we all put a blinder on if we say that didn't happen. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit double standard. But as I say that, I'm still old school, man. It's just if I have a problem or if I wanted to get moving all that, I did it indoors in private. I said, hey, listen, I don't want any mud on your face. There should be no mud on my face. Let's just jointly agree that, hey, it's the best way to part ways. So he's, he's, he's not wrong and he's not right. Bert, did you play with some guys that wore, you know, like you knew they put on that jersey, they don't want it and played hard, but you knew they were just waiting to get moved and wanted to be moved, but they were, as you said, old school and just for going. I, I got, yeah, place. listen, I, and I'm not going to say that word. I, I don't know. How do you put this without being ridiculed? I'm just going to say hockey players are, are built differently. We really are. Our mentality is when you're in that situation, you're going 100%. And I know that Draymond spoke about hard. He said, hey, listen, you got to call a, a spade a spade. He was just dogging it. And it was true. You can, you can tell. You can see it and all that kind of stuff. I just, I've never been in a situation where someone wanted out and he didn't try. Not in hockey because that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't, that just doesn't fly. Because he'll end up being knocked out in practice by someone if he ain't towing the rope. But you, you can still want out but still compete. You're doing yourself a favor by be competing harder and, and, and showcasing yourself more. But, uh, but like, even when it comes down to the deadline, uh, we, we have seen players pulled out of games and all that. But for hockey, I just find it's because of injury. Our sport is so uh, fast and physical and all that. So I do see if a kid or someone has to sit out for uh, uh, two games before the deadline so they can get their max uh, uh, um, trade value. For the kid and all that, I do understand that with injury for that, but uh, I, I, but as far as players I play with, no. If someone wanted out, they still competed and they towed the rope because that's just what we're taught to do by our parents and 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 playing on a hockey team throughout the years. You just you keep playing and playing and playing until uh, you're moved or you can't play anymore. There's Todd Bertuzzi uh, weighing in on uh, what. Draymond Green said last night in defense of players and the hypocrisy that, you know, it's okay for a team to hold a player out, but if a player holds out, 
it's viewed much differently. Uh, Bert weighing in with his own thoughts and kind of relating to the player mentality in the National Hockey League here this morning on Sportsnet 650. I don't think he's necessarily wrong, though, right? I mean, word gets out, and it's it's easy. I don't know if it's if it's because fans identify more with players than they do owners and managers, but generally it's and, – and look, James Harden, I mean, he dogged it, right? And there was no denying mm-hmm. that. But Patrick Laine kind of checked out too, right? When, or, or I should say Pierre-Luc Dubois in Columbus had dogged it, right? I remember that, that half-ass shift that he had had that ultimately it landed him parked on the bench there from what? The last two periods of the game uh, before he it was ultimately moved. Well, and look at the respect that, and how Patrick Laine was talked about. You know, first game of the year, he goes out, scores a couple, gets into a fight, and you're going, well, guess what? This guy's made it very clear he doesn't want to be in Winnipeg long term. But in the meantime, he put on that jersey and all the line mates and teammates could do is go, hey, if that's what we're going to get, nothing but respect for him. I think the message gets out a lot easier now through social media. Hint, hint, wink, wink, agent do this or player do that. Uh, But, you know, if someone texts in, they're the employer and not the employee. So it's a different line and it's a different time from Bert's days. Uh, But I don't think anyone likes, hey, no one likes the whiner. Right? No one likes to uh, hate this. Everyone should go. And Paul Maurice said yesterday, complaining that it's tough to play without fans. Because let me get this straight. I love my job. We are so lucky to play hockey. And that's uh, all people want to hear sometimes. Don't whine. Just go play. 844, some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show at 9 o'clock. And that's coming your way next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Jay Cogs going with a little Elton John. Sad songs songs say so much. (laughs) It really did uh, for the Canucks last night. Uh, Not so much, I'm still standing, but. yeah, thanks very much for the submission. A lot of great submissions. Uh, Shane and Courtney suggested the uh, theme for Halloween, Perry, because it's been a bit of a nightmare for the Canucks here so far this season. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it's funny how people have taken yesterday's loss. And uh, I thought for the most part people would be all over this hockey team going not good enough, whatever, but it maybe just speaks to what Canuck fans know, and they know failure, and maybe the expectations aren't there. But – only 60% of them are bitter that you didn't have two points. Now, yeah, that's more than half. I just thought 80 85% would have gone, you needed to win. It's as simple as that. You needed to beat Calgary. You took all that energy, positive energy, Saturday night, and you weren't able to finish them off. You should have been able to put them away in the first period. But, no, maybe they're just looking at it. It's going to be glass half full today. Good on them. But a, a lot of people realizing that this series, you win in Calgary and go, okay, you've got more. But this is a team that's going to have to win two of three, essentially, as they're a third of the way through the season, to get back into that playoff fight. Uh, the Scott Rintoul Show coming your way at the top of the clock. Uh, Rick Ball and John Garrett among the guests uh, dropping by. Former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna also dropping by Scotty's show, which gets underway at 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, a lot of heat I'm facing for my submission for Let It Go as my Canucks in the song here uh, this morning pair as the Canucks with all the turnovers, blowing the 2 nothing lead. And, uh, yeah, Vance, Dorn, among a few that say uh, I should be suspended for, uh, for that. Well, they don't want you, any with young kids who've had to endure that song a hundred times. You, you just don't want to hear it, and here you are 
bringing them down with it for the most part. I stand on their side. You hear that? Like, I will now hum that song at some point today, and I'll be pissed at you. That I would never have thought of that if not for you bringing it up there. <laughs> well, we got to get out of here. Uh, we're back at it tomorrow morning. Ed Jovanoski will join the show. Jovokop joins us each and every Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. It is another game day, the final of four of this four-game series against the Flames. This time, uh, it goes down in Calgary. I would anticipate more Jacob Markstrom uh, for the Canucks, and why not? Just with the schedule kind of shaping up, uh, going every other night at this point. Uh, Flames go back-to-back on the weekend, so that's where I would see Jacob Markstrom ultimately getting a, a little rest there, pair. but at this point, why not, right? I mean, I, I would think that Jacob, uh, Jacob Markstrom would be incredibly motivated to face his former team as many times as possible over the course of the season. And you look at the record, what, 4-1 uh, and one now uh, in five games. It's It's gone well. Well, you know, it'll be interesting to hear Rick's perspective, Rick Ball's perspective on Scotty's show because, you know, last night you heard Rick and Kelly Rudy going, well, thank goodness, you know, good effort by the Flames after a bad first period to come back. You know, they're not that far off questioning what they have on that, and it's just a couple of wins and losses. And everybody, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Vancouver, you just want to be in that same boat. Jacob Marks has been exactly what they had hoped for. I think Thatcher Demko gets to go at him one more time tomorrow night, but we shall see. Real quick, uh, anything you got on the schedule tonight you want to make some money on? Oh, I didn't even look. You know what? We can tell people it's postponed again. Dallas, because of the snowstorm, mm-hmm. uh, they've had another game postponed. Here's what's crazy, and I know the trades can't be made and we're running out of time. You could be traded from Vancouver to New Jersey and ostensibly play 66 games this year because New Jersey's only played nine, and the Canucks have already played 19. So <laughs> there you go. That's one way to look at it. Give me the Sabres tonight. You know, they played their first game in over two weeks last night and lost 3-1 to the Islanders. I think the fact that they finally got a game under their belt for the first time in weeks, I think it'll help. And a little more urgency after fall, coming up short last night. I like Buffalo to get it done tonight against the Islanders. That's my one suggestion. Uh, yeah. You know, I had the Islanders yesterday, so I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you the bounce back game. I don't feel like I'll you would ever bet on any uh, against any team that has a player from the Tri-Cities. Well, <laughs> Barzell was good. That line's been good. That line has been good. So we'll, we'll see what takes place with that. There you uh, take care, everybody. Have a great day. Scott Rintoul Show is next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.